0: Mademoiselle from Armatheers, parlez-vous. Mademoiselle from Armatheers, parlez-vous. Mademoiselle from Armatheers, she hasn't been kissed in 40 years.
1: Inky dinky, parlez-vous. Alright, it's the Chance of Gaming podcast, we're back, finally. This is uh, episode 123, and with me always is Richard and Roy.
0: Good afternoon, everyone. Usually I say evening, but it's actually afternoon now, we're... On a slightly different schedule today.
2: Hi there, uh, I'm Roy Ort, and uh, I live in West Michigan. Rich Oh no, I gave my he... last name. Now everybody's going to dox me.
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think they can find you on Twitter, and they look up the CIA database or whatever.
1: The 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 NSA <laughs> database. Did yeah. you see like that news story recently where um about the the it was a female. Uh, NSA agent got caught like with like uh half a million dick pics that she had, she had, <laughs> she had stolen off of people's phones, you know, and because so many people were making the jokes, they're like, aha, women say they don't want these, but here's this woman with half a million, you, you know, um, yeah, and it was like, or or it was like, oh, we found the rare unicorn, the the one woman who does want them. And she oh, doesn't she doesn't need to get them to from her. you, she takes them. Yeah. So.
2: Well if there's if there's names attached, I mean it's like a police lineup. You want to have like a nice big database of anyway. Yeah.
1: <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's what people come here for is tabletop gaming and dick pics
2: discussion. Yeah, I think, I think we
1: can restart
0: the, the show stuff. at this point. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> All right, yeah. You won't find this on Herald on War Games. I promise so, you that. So
0: what are you playing, Adam? <laughs>
1: <laughs> what am I, what am I playing? i have actually been building.
2: uh a Dick lot, Pick
1: flashcards? A, a lot lately. Um, I could do you know, like I said, I've I've talked about my idea for a game. Is there's this game, and surely I've talked about this before. You can find on um on Board Game Geek. It's not safe for work when you look it up. It's called Busen Memo. It was um a German game. And it essentially, it's, you know, it's the game Memory that you play with your kids, you know, where you flip all the cards upside down, only it's done with boobs. So you're just trying to match a
2: pair of boobs. So yeah, I do remember you talking about this.
1: My idea for a game is to do that, but do it with, like, man boobs. Because, <laughs> you know, you can play it anywhere. That's It's, it's fine. It's legal. Just do, it, just do it with man boobs. You know, I want to do a whole Kickstarter, you know, and all this stuff, get, you know, pay people like $20 to model, you know, and just take the picture and then and do this stupid. No,
0: game. no, you don't pay them. That's a stretch goal. So, <laughs> you know, they pay 20 bucks for the game. If they pay 25, they get to put their own
2: man boobs in there. Yeah, okay. Safe true. for that's work, <laughs> but not safe for lunch. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's true. It's true. You could play it in your local coffee, coffee shop, but people might really like look at you funny, I guess. But yeah, that'd be my idea for a game but anyway
2: judge me judge me judge me
1: (laughs) so um i've actually been kind of building stuff uh more than gaming i have tried i got really sick at the end of this week and uh like thought i had like i don't know dysentery or cholera one of the one of the two and um (laughs) i uh because I wanted to actually get out and play um, the, the 40K game um, Blackstone Fortress, which is their dungeon crawler. I had all my figures put together and all this good stuff, and I wanted to make plans to do it, but it did not happen. So
0: so how does that work? Is it still two-player competitive? Is it just you against him, or how does that work as a dungeon crawler?
1: It's very interesting. It starts out with just... Uh, I want to say you can actually, it has a solo play, but I'm not sure. Sure, it seems like I heard that, but if you do two-player, it's co-op, and if you get all the way up to five-player, it becomes one of you against the other four.
0: Oh, okay. That's so, how
1: Descent and Imperial
0: Assault work, so...
1: Yeah, so I, I guess it, essentially the, the same way. So I wanted to do that, and it didn't happen, so I've been... Um, I found a couple of guys locally that I've, I've just... Uh, I I struggle with um, painters and stuff like that. So I found a couple of guys that are willing just to put stuff together for me. And they do it at a super cheap, reasonable rate. So now I'm playing with just naked plastic. And I think it's great. I got a bunch of 40K stuff put together. I got some Age of Sigmar stuff put together. And uh, it's been awesome. Uh, I have made plans to do bolt action uh, this year. And have ordered some parts to make what I had legal. And uh, the other day, I finally opened a art de guerre, an art de la guerre army that uh, of Greeks slash Spartans that I've had for like two years. Uh, I bought from a guy, I painted, and they've just been sitting in a box forever. And so yeah, now I, I really want to get them to the table because they are, look really really good. So that's what I've been doing.
0: So um. You say you're building forty k. You building a new army, or are you just like adding on to your existing army and you know actually putting the pieces together and painting everything?
1: Ah, for me, it's all it's always something new. It's like I have have a half finished Tau army. I mean, why would I want to finish it when I could just start something new? (laughs) And uh, I did. I started uh, uh, Imperial Guard scions. You know the um, the little um, stormtrooper guys.
0: Oh, yeah. If we ever wanted to bankrupt you, we should just give you, like, a starter set of every faction of every miniature game made, and you would feel compelled to fill them out.
1: Ah, it's just weird. Yeah, it is a thing. Oh, and <laughs> I, I, finally, I did drop off my Cruel Seas stuff, finally, with uh, the guy that put stuff together for me today. So hopefully I'll be playing that next weekend. He has <coughs> six like, little yeah. ships to put together should be easy.
2: So that's the coastal stuff?
1: Uh huh. Okay. The, uh, the ships are probably a little bit longer than your thumb about as wide. And, uh, yeah. So I'm like super duper excited to, uh, get that to the table.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So rich, you've been, you played spearhead. I saw on Twitter, you actually playing with miniatures. It was, neat. I
0: played a miniature game and it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I mean, you've, you've talked about minis a lot. And we've talked about it. So spearhead, um, is a world war two miniatures game and I've, You've talked a lot about miniatures, and I can see myself getting into World War II miniatures at some point, whether it's bolt action or Flames of War or something. But Spearhead is a—it's a six millimeter game. I'm not familiar with all uh, the—it's one to two eighty-five scale, so the pieces themselves are, you know, like a tank is like an inch across or whatever, which is big enough that you can see, you can clearly tell. If I mean, if you know what the tanks look like, you know, a T thirty-four from a, you know, a a K two or whatever. What what it's
1: supposed to mean when you say something is six millimeter or fifteen millimeter or twenty eight millimeter is, at six millimeter that means the average height of a man, which is six feet, which I don't believe because I'm like five nine. Um, <laughs> so uh, the average height of a man is scaled down from six feet to six to six millimeter. So, six
0: millimeters is so it's two and a half millimeters to an inch, so a little over two inches maybe.
1: No, no, no. Because six millimeters really small. Because I, ha- I have. Oh, six I'm doing mil- the wrong way. Yeah, mil- yeah. I have six millimeter, six millimeter armies. I have six mil- millimeter Napoleonics. They're yeah. super small, and to me, that's about as small as you want to get to have it to to have it look really nice. But lately, there has been a bunch of people that are like, "Hey, hold my beer," and have gotten into two millimeter.
0: Yeah, I've seen those and those you'll have like I've seen those as like maybe Napoleonics and ancients where you'll have a little block of guys and there's a dozen guys on this tiny little 1 by 2 inch piece or something like that. Yeah, it's just a blob at
1: that point. Yeah. I mean like just just play with chits or yeah. counters or whatever at that point. Anyway, yeah. tell us about some.
0: Yeah, so Spearhead, it was uh it was a it's it's a World War 2 game. Um it's tank combat. I don't know what how, how many different, you know, nationalities you can play. I assume everything, if you've got the pieces for it. But we played Eastern Front Germans against Russians, and it's uh, uh we played four players, so two on a side. The board was about five by five, terrain all over it, and, you know, two Germans and two Russians. Um, and it was a lot of fun. It was interesting. I think the guy that brought the game had some, like, homebrewed variants, which I think were uh, a... a Good additions to the system. There's there's an an initiative system where uh, after you get everything all set up, uh, you know you you draw well you draw a chit out, taking turns Russians and Germans, and it'll say you get like zero activations or one activation or two activations, and then even after you get your one or two activations you still have to basically say okay i'm trying to activate these guys and then you have to roll a die to see if they actually wake up and activate and basically the you know the veterans are more likely to activate the green guys are less likely to activate so uh you could get a guy uh there's two activations for the whole, a whole round is when every unit has had two chances to activate and if any unit doesn't activate so it fails its activation twice then the next round it gets a plus one bonus to activation so it's more likely to activate Um, but before you start the battle you sit on a map with a dry erase marker and you give everyone battle plans so you draw okay you're supposed to go here on this turn you can stop here and defend this area or whatever and then your guys have to follow your pre-made battle plans unless you can send them a new command which is possible but not always easy to do so it was a lot of fun i um i haven't played i I played a game of bolt action just sort of like on a demonstration day a couple years ago and i had fun with this this one i thought was even more fun i'd like to play it again i think we're going to take a weekend sometime because it's uh i think it's a 12 turn game and we got I think we finished the second turn. But part of it was because we are learning the system. Part of it was there was a longer setup time because we didn't know what we were doing. So um, we're, I'm looking forward to playing a full game of it at some point. And that one's called Spearhead.
1: It, it, I am familiar with uh, Artie Carnif or, or Artie Karn... Uh, yeah, okay, sorry.
3: <laughs>
1: Artie Kontif, the guy who wrote it. I know him from uh, Shaco. Which, way back in the day of, like, uh, you know, 20 years ago, the dark ages of Napoleonic rules, in my humble opinion, because, uh, yeah... I kept running into people that are like, I just designed my own and whatnot. I found Shaco, and I really liked it for uh, a Napoleonic rule set, and it was a lot of fun. I uh, found Artie online and was able to purchase a copy directly from him, and he autographed it. And so, yeah, I'll always think that, you know, he was really nice and really cool. I had no idea he did spearhead. I have heard people talk about it before as a miniature yeah. game but.
0: Yeah, it was fun, it. and. Me not knowing a lot about different miniatures, rule sets, I don't have a whole lot to compare it to. Um, I guess, like I said, I did play Bolt Action once, and I remember that one, you know, you, it, it it wasn't a chit activation system, it was a dice activation system. But it's the same type of thing. Um, I've never played Flames of War, but that one, you know, every time I go to the game store, I look at it, and it certainly looks good. I like the look of the minis in that one, so uh what if you were if you were starting today and wanted to pick up a world war ii minis rule set in game what would you go without them
1: either one of those are really good bolt um,
0: action or flames of war
1: yeah it just depends on what scale you want to play
0: if oh okay you want,
1: if you want to play the smaller scale where you have like this huge well i say huge huge-esque army kind of on the table and you're pushing your little guys around or if Whereas Bolt Action is more of a large-scale skirmish, and it is um, one-to-one scale. So you'll have, like, a platoon of guys and maybe a tank or a transport. At most, it's usually, like, two or three tanks on the field at one time. So, you know, it just depends. And, of course, I, I I like them both. They give me different different feels i really want to get back into bolt action this year i really like the scale it's just nice to see these you know big tanks and stuff on it you know yeah just dig it
0: i think there's a game out there just called tanks too
1: that's oh, World yeah. War two tanks no yep. one looks similar
0: but obviously it's probably more the, armor
1: it's made by the same company that does um uh flames of war and it's oh, okay just a, it's a cut down version of it basically with just no infantry it's just tank combat all right like the old Atari game, you know. Yeah. The, I'm assuming the, the shells don't bounce around.
0: Yeah. The kids at home can Google Atari. Gosh, Combat! I think that was called. Yeah. So I played. I did play Spearhead. Um, the other games that I didn't play a whole lot the last few weeks. I did play some more ASL Starter Kit with a friend, uh, Bruce. Um, and you know we're just we're working our way through the starter kit, and uh, we I think this is our. Yeah, our third game. So we played A Simple Equation, for those of you that know that one. um, This was the first starter kit one where I I really... Usually I I like playing starter kit. I I like playing full ASL as well, but this was the first starter kit where I thought this specific scenario would have been better if it was full ASL because the defender has to defend a wide area. He's got to set up his troops. He's got a couple of machine guns, Um, but I know exactly where everything is, and as the attacker, I can just, you know, hit one side of him really hard or whatever. There's no concealment at all in starter kit, and that's a, a... That and the Sniper are probably the two biggest differences between Starter Kit and full ASL, and I'm really starting to miss those, but I'm going to get back to playing some full ASL soon as well. And then I played some more Gloomhaven. Um, We've retired one character so far. My character is about to retire, in fact... Uh, she might even retire next time we play, but she's gotten up to level five now. She, I'm playing the Tinkerer, and she's actually she's getting more and more fun to play. So when I actually retire her, I'm gonna I'm gonna miss her. So
2: we'll see, but we'll see what
0: I, I don't know what character I'm gonna get next. I might just roll up another Tinkerer, but we'll see.
2: Uh, the, isn't that uh, uh, contingent upon whatever your quest is. I I don't know exactly
0: how it works. I, all okay. I know is that so I, I my life goal or whatever it is to retire. I have to do quests in like five or six or seven different locations, and I have one left, and it's in the mm-hmm. Misty Sea, and that's where we're going next. So as soon as I do that, I'm going to retire, and it says you know open whatever box. I don't know what's right. in that box. I don't know if it's a. I assume it's a new character class, but I honestly I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I believe so. What <laughs> if the box is full of bees? uh i hadn't thought of that maybe i should come prepared yes zombies (laughs) it could be
2: (laughs) callbacks to um we will only know summer life
1: yeah (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah where is that shouldn't i have that by now
2: oh i don't know did you back it
1: i did back it i had to he was so he was so nice i was like dadgummit (laughs) this guy's gonna be he's so nice he's gonna make me back his game and sure enough he did all right. So yeah, actually I think we'll get it next summer, I think, but I don't know. Something like that. But yeah, uh, you know, uh Richard you mentioning ASL, I have been meaning to ask a question sure. in a public in a public forum. I thought about like the uh, the wargamers group on uh the wargamers Facebook group would be the best place. And I, my question, I don't really quite know how to phrase it. Essentially, it's like, okay, what is the best non ASL game that's like ASL? You know, I guess you would mm. say, what is, what is the best, um, would you say, squad level combined arms game? Yeah. That's, um, heck, that's Hex Encounter? The so- best Hex Encounter
0: squad level combined arms game. Yeah, I think the Wargamers – I mean, honestly, you're going to get tons of opinions. I can't – I haven't played the other alternatives, but I've heard good things about Band of Brothers, and I've heard good things about the advanced Tobruk system. So I, I would check out those two if you're interested I mean, in doing something similar to ASL but not ASL.
1: I was just curious because, I mean, dadgum, there are a lot of them. I mean, yeah. I get, ASL, I guess, it in itself There's, is a little um, – intimidating maybe sure. <laughs> you know it's a big gun think,
0: rule book and i think if you're if you're looking for something like asl but a little lighter i think you're looking for band of brothers hmm. there's also old school tactical system ots but I i've have heard that yeah i've heard that that one is not easy to wrap your mind around either so <laughs> i would look for band of brothers that's that would probably be my recommendation
1: Let's see i'm trying to think of who did that um uh it's eagle something hold on kids i'm gonna google this band of brothers game screaming eagles oh so, no sorry it's band of brothers screaming eagles it's done by worthington games is is who does that
0: oh okay yeah and worthington they make i've got a, a few of their games but they tend to be on the lighter side of war games like i've got a i've got a I've got Frederick's War from them, and I've got something else too, but they – yeah, they tend to be a little lighter than you know, GMT or Compass or some of the other ones. That yeah, said, it, they might have heavy games that I just don't know about. It's – uh,
1: yeah, just that whole – like I said, there are so many of them, and yeah, Advanced Tobrick System is another one that is pretty old, but honestly nowadays I don't hear a lot of people talking about it. Um, what, uh, the, uh, the Awakening the Bear game. Um, oh, yeah,
0: Conflict of Heroes. Yeah. That's the another pre- one. Yeah. I have fact, been. sorry, go
1: ahead. Oh, yeah, I know. This, we, <laughs> look, people, we're not in the same room, so we don't get those social cues that somebody wants to talk. It's hard, but I try, I try to fix this in editing awkward silence as i wait for richard to talk (laughs) all
0: right so conflict of heroes yes i have that one as well uh it is a lot of fun that's by academy games and one of the nice things about conflict of heroes is it comes with a solo expansion as well um there is a solitaire asl but it's not in print and i don't own it so i don't know how good it is but the conflict of heroes is actually a pretty good solitaire expansion it only works with their eastern front module which is called awakening the bear but if you're not interested in solitaire they do have i think a guadalcanal expansion and maybe another one as well but those are the two that i can think of offhand
1: now um with those i had the first edition and i want to say they are about to kickstarter the third or fourth edition they were playtesting it at board game geek con and i they're supposed to do a kickstarter i think this year
0: this conflict Uh, of
1: heroes yes
0: conflict of heroes oh i hadn't heard about that
1: for a new edition And um, I have been thoroughly impressed by the, um, how do you say, production
0: quality. Yeah, bigger board, bigger counters, high-quality stuff, really colorful. Yeah, Conflict of Heroes definitely looks better than ASL.
1: And I want to say there is one more game that's super popular, uh, Heroes of Normandy.
0: Yeah, that is. If you're looking for lighter, that's that's definitely a lighter one. That's got like the comic book graphics and, um, but it, and it's it's cubes instead of or squares instead of hexes, which is fine. Um, it's just a, a different set set. But um, yeah, Heroes of Normandy. I have I have played that one as well. It's it's good. I mean, it's got it's got interesting tactical decisions like you know whether whether you want to try suppressive fire or try to shoot to kill and it's got armor and stuff like that so it's got everything in there it's it's much lighter than probably any of those other systems that we talked about though
1: okay now see i guess that's kind of like another thing that i would weigh in that is like you know how much how how tactical is it or whatnot now one thing that turns me off about Heroes of Normandy is the the comic book style artwork. Yeah, I don't like it. Um, I don't like it at all. Although the board seems to be pretty small, they did a Heroes of Blackreach or something like that. Uh, it's a forty k version. Yeah, it's Heroes of Blackreach, and I want that.
0: I want Interesting. To I, I, I want actually saw that at the game store. I didn't realize that was the same game.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a forty k reskin okay. Heroes of Normandy, and there's like a ton. They have a ton of expansions for this game, and they do like Shadows of Normandy, they did uh, Heroes of Stalingrad. But yeah, I'm gonna try to start this uh, discussion. I say discussion because it's just gonna degenerate into an argument. But you know. <laughs> yeah.
0: and, uh, guess, uh, everything's terrible except for what I play.
2: Right. <laughs> All right, well, uh, Roy, what have you been playing? So I finally got. Teotihuacan City of Gods. What What'd you and call it? Teotihuacan? Teotihuacan. <laughs> Teotihuacan. Yes. Teotihuacan. So after we played it once, uh, my friend said, hey, I'd like to play that again. And he texted me. He said, I'd like to play uh, uh, Titiwaka again. He <laughs> <laughs> said, are you are you hitting on me? <laughs> so uh, Teotihuacan is a um, – you're building the, the city of Teotihuacan moving your workers around the board where there's eight spaces. So there's eight, there's like the the gold mine, there's the quarry, there's the forest. So it's all kind of the typical things that you would find in a board game. Um, and your pawns are dice. So you have three that you move around the board. And if he moves into a particular spot, it's uh, there's a lock function to it. So like I'm going to go to this spot and I'm going to lock this die and I can't move it. And, but I can spam it every turn to get a little something. Um, but then there's like the main action of the board where like if I go into the gold mine, it's a factor of how many dice I have there and then lower number will give me some kind of benefit, some number of gold or some food or a victory point or whatever. Um, <clears throat> so one of the places you can go around to is the pyramid and you can build a pyramid. And so you're collecting points as you go around, and it plays over three phases. So after everybody plays, this eclipse track moves one space. And once the eclipse happens, then that's a scoring round. And you reset, and then you you go through three eclipses, essentially, and then the game is over. Um, so it's a, 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 a rondel, I believe is, in, is the name of it. So you just go around and around in a circle. So you can move your pawn... One, two or three spaces and the space that you move on to you have to pay the amount of cocoa which is the essentially what you're feeding your workers um, based on the number of colors that are in there and then the benefit that you get is based like I said before on the number of dice and the value on them and so each time that you take an action one of the one or both of those dice will spin up and it'll get a little bit better So everything will go up to a five. Once it reaches a six, it's a sacrificed and you start over again at a one. So you're, you're promoting dice or promoting workers. And once you get to a six, then they get, you know, they get the ax and, and, uh, you start over again. And every time there is a sacrifice that eclipse track moves a little bit faster too. So it's, there's, there's a lot of setup to it. Um, so like it's you open the box up and it's kind of a, a parts explorer. Um but uh, it is modular. So the board comes with the eight spaces, but then there's eight. Uh, there's they're identical, but you can so you can kind of mix it around and and uh, stir it up each for each game. So that's uh, Teotihuacan City of Gods. This is a new game that's out. How'd you like it? Um. Well, it was. I like it, and the the uh, reviews were mixed. There was it was it turned it up ended up being a probably about a three hour game. So it was an evening killer.
0: Were they mixed uh, because it was a little heavier than people wanted to play?
2: It was just I I was the only one that had, that had played it before, so I had to do the explaining, and maybe I'm not that great at explaining. Yeah, because I've heard
0: so. I've heard good things about this game, and it looks fun, mm-hmm. but I'm also looking at it. I think the the number of people that would want to play this with me are probably limited. It, it looks, um, it looks probably too heavy to get out with my family, and if, if I'm playing with my my gaming friends, um, we, I mean we probably would play it at some point, but we got lots of other stuff to play too. So, I've heard good things about it though.
2: So there's another game called Zulkin, Zol- that has yeah. the gears. Right, it's the same designer. Yep, uh, and that's kind of a kind of a uh, makes your brain hurt too. <laughs> i've understood i haven't played it before but because you know you're, you're spinning the gear around and it kind of messes with uh where people are
0: right it physically spins the board Mm-hmm. yeah
2: so yeah uh teotihuacan city of gods and what else have i be- oh mercado is a game that a friend of mine brought over and uh this kind of has overtones of splendor where you're a um uh, uh uh, you know, a, a spoiled rich kid out to the um, out of the Mercado, which is Spanish for market. And you're buying all these different baubles. So you have a bag with a bunch of uh, chits in it and the black coins are counterfeit. So each turn you pull three coins out and any of the black coins you can't use to buy anything. And so the various um, things that are out there will do they're they're four-sided so each side has a color so like i'm going to put my coins along one side of the of the card that says that i'm going for this tiara or whatever and so maybe it'll give me some victory points maybe it'll take some black coins out of my bag or maybe it'll put some black coins into somebody else's bag um and then once i have it completed then i get that that trinket And then another one comes out so you can uh, you're kind of collecting the resources. So like there's there's gold, silver, copper, and then there's some blue, I think it's turquoise coins that you're uh, collecting and laying down on the board um, to collect those things. And meanwhile, everybody else is kind of collecting and competing with you for it, too. So it's there's a little bit of a bidding because you can kind of see where people are putting their coins down. And like, well, do I, you know, they they have two of the four coins that are required, and I only have two, but, you know, maybe I'll get lucky later on, and, and I can I can beat them out. But there's also a second-place finish for some of those, uh, the cards. Um, so that's Mercado. It's it's uh, light and uh, kind of fun. There's some nice little uh, silk bags that come with it. Mercado.
1: What's the next one?
2: Uh, let's see. The next one is Cargo Noir. I just played this last night. And um we um, realized that we have been playing it wrong for the last 10 years.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I hate it when that happens.
2: So it's um, this is a game about smuggling you're you're trafficking in uranium or weapons or cigars or various things. So there's different uh, ports around the board that have goods that you're trying to get sets up. So like if you go to Rio, there's maybe three goods there that you're competing for. So you send out your little ship with a stack of coins saying, this is what I'm going to buy all this stuff for, and then turn in for victory points, which I can then turn around and buy a nightclub or uh, I joked, a presidency or <laughs> you know, um, various things that you can buy with it. So if somebody else comes in there with a higher price, you either have to, bid more or leave and so there was a, yeah there was a kind of a, a, a misunderstanding of how how it was supposed to be played and um, so we realized that if we played the next time and play by the actual rules it would go a lot faster but that was kind of an evening killer too so that's a cargo noir
0: that. i've never heard of that game before
2: oh yeah the the artwork is great the components are nice the little uh ships and coins and everything yeah cargo noir and I finished up the evening playing a little tiny game called Flip City, which uh, this double-sided cards. There's only five cards, well, five different cards in the, in the game, and you just play off the top of your deck. And there's some cards that compel you to play it, the particular card, and they have unhappiness markers. So if you get un- three unhappiness markers in the course of a turn, you've busted and you have to pass your turn so you're you're gaining credits and and buying cards to play and there's two different victory conditions if you have eight um point check marks then that's a win in one turn so if you can play eight of those in one turn is a win or if you can play 18 cards without going bust that's also a win so it's it's a little game so it's uh rich you talked about a, a coffee shop game yeah, Flip City would be kind of in that realm of kind of light and colorful and interesting to look at.
0: It looks like it could be played solitaire as well.
2: Yeah, that looks cool. So
0: kind of like Carcassonne, except you're not—you
2: have your own space instead of sharing a space. Well, you just—you each turn you're going to lay down cards, but you're going to pick them all up at the end of your turn. Oh, okay. So as you lay them down, the, each one has will give us some kind of a value. And then you can use those to buy cards from the tableau, or you can you can either buy a card or you can flip a card. So there's a cost to flip some cards too. So the um, the residential area is the one that says if this is on top of your deck, you have to play it. Um, and so it's it also has an unhappiness, so it can cause people to go bust. So there is a, a way that you can flip that and put it in somebody else's deck, so that you're you know you're kind of Hamstringing them a little bit so it's it's more like i guess dominion would probably be the go-to description of it hmm, okay. so flip city
1: now the next the next thing we had is we all went and saw they shall not grow old
2: on martin luther king day yeah right. so
1: and what did you guys think
2: i was surprised i was not really expecting I was expecting more of the documentary experience I mean they said it was a documentary, so I was expecting you know well, here's a clip of whatever, and then somebody explaining you know the tactics so I was expecting more of a kind of an in depth um, analysis of the war and this is really just about the the uh uh the the way of life of of an infantryman
0: yeah I was i i guess. I wasn't expecting it to be a documentary in like tactics and battle movements and stuff like that. I guess I was hoping to see a little more battle footage, which mm-hmm. they had very little of. And if you watch the, the the part at the end, they talked about they're like, well, there's the cameraman just really didn't want to go into battle. So that's why mm-hmm. there was no battle footage. Um, like I said, I, I think I said this before. I was I was kind of hoping to. Have the whole theater shake and feel what that artillery barrage was like. So, just because of the nature of the fact that they had cameramen, um, you know, it, it was all real footage. So, the cameramen, I, I guess, just didn't go into the more dangerous parts. You know, if you look at like what happened in Vietnam, where we had live footage and cameramen in the heat of every battle, I guess I was expecting more of that. And it definitely wasn't that.
2: There was the the one scene that really kind of shook me was the there was a scene and I guess spoiler alert. Um, but, you know, we've had more 100 than 100 years, years to. Yeah. Um, the scene with the cavalry uh, going through the grasslands and there was a, a shell that burst amongst them.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. It and the, the dust and the smoke. Like, yeah.
2: Yeah. And the, there was a couple of horses and I'm sure men, too. Yeah. That were not getting up again.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And that was yeah, that was troubling
1: to me it it was beautiful and it, it was just utterly brutal um I mean the the first world war is always always fascinating me and it always will there's to me I don't think there's been anything like it and I don't think I don't know I would like to hope there never would be again but it was just horrific completely just horrific in the amount of death like when he talked about um The people that were uh the the group of british that were like kneeling behind the burn the ditch or whatever and he actually found that same ditch to you know talk about colorizing the grass anyway and he talked about yeah most of those people were dead like 20 minutes after that film shot you know yeah yeah it was just horrific you know it's just just how it was just this type of Warfare. It was so awful that in the Second World War, they were like, eh, we're not going to do that. We're not going to dig trenches. We're not going to use chemicals. You know, yeah, we're not going to do that. So, uh, yeah, I was very glad to see it. Uh, my theater was surprisingly packed. Uh, it was mostly old white dudes, um, but a lot of them brought their wives. And there were some younger white dudes. Mm-hmm. And that that was pretty much kind of like the demographic that I saw. Of course, I ran into a lot of people I game with. I set it as a uh, a group, you know, outing for my local gaming group and a lot of guys showed up and yeah, so.
0: Yeah, it was interesting because I I went with my gaming group as well and there was a, a pretty good number of us, you know, most of the guys brought their wives, so there was probably maybe a dozen of us totals. So I get up there and I give them my ticket, and they say, okay, well, Theater 19, this way, go ahead. So I go over there, and the first thing I notice is that no one from my gaming group is there. I'm like, well, that's weird because we all bought tickets together. And then I go up to the top row where our seats were, and we're in row J. There is no row J. It only goes up to H. So I'm like, wait a minute. What's going on here? So the the movie's starting at this point, so and there's, it's not like there's 20 minutes of previews like there are at a, at, a, at the next avengers movie or whatever uh but my wife actually went out and they asked and they're like oh it's probably just a misprint at wherever and it wasn't totally full so we got a couple good seats and then you know talked to my friends afterwards I was like no we were in the other theater and they just told you the wrong theater so oh. all all of my friends were in the other theater and my wife and i were in this theater but it, it doesn't really matter because we couldn't talk during the movie but it was funny so Man, it still sucks. Yeah, though. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because they're all like, You're the one that said we should all watch this together. They're texting me saying, Where where were you? <laughs> and the I couple can't of two like, were there up, really. because we had just had dinner with them. So <laughs>
2: <laughs> So uh this if listeners, if you want to see this too, it is expanding. They're gonna have another showing it'll start on February first. So if you go to Fathom Events, I believe. That's um correct. That's uh, that's where you would go to find it. Um, and there was something else I was going to say, but I've forgotten.
1: I highly recommend this this movie if you, if you like. If you're listening to us and you, you like you know conflict type gaming and warfare and History Channel whatever or you know the History Channel what it was before it was Pawn Stars, uh, you you'd really dig this. I I think um, it it's done really really well. Uh, I would say, uh, Richard, what do you think is the ASL version of like World War One?
0: You know, the Kansas City ASL Club was talking about doing a World War One module. Um, I don't know that they ever had, or if they're still going to do that. Um, so, obviously, if that is out or comes out, that would be the answer. Besides that, honestly, I can't think of anything. The closest I can think of is you know commands and colors has a world war one module called the great war that's obviously nothing like asl but that might be the closest i can think of to tactical combat i can't remember what the game was we talked a few months ago about an upcoming game that promised tactical combat in world war one and i said i was interested only because there is nothing like that out there so all the world war one stuff is very strategic and supply lines and grinding your enemies into dust and all that but
1: Mm-hmm. And artillery and yeah. all that, yeah, all that stuff. And yeah, it reminded me of a lot of the World War One board games I have sitting that I had collecting dust that I need to get out. So
2: yeah. So uh, if this film ever makes it to to home video, I want I want a commentary, and I think the commentary would be would be great. You know, I want Peter Jackson to do the commentary and and talk about you know various things.
1: Yeah. I, I do, do you you guys stayed and watched the little mini documentary at the end, right? Yeah. I did, yeah, yeah. Okay, I like how he talked about. Um, he was like, yeah, you know, you bring out the World War One artillery pieces that you own. Like, like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We just have so have one here,
2: so. <laughs> yeah, he Boy, a, that say. guy, the his. Th- that's really the life to, you know, to be a, a world famous director, barefoot, laying on the couch like Jabba the Hutt, just saying, <laughs> yeah, let's do it like this. And yeah, yeah, with, yeah with his I entourage around too. Him.
0: And I thought he's really he's really taking the Hobbit thing as far as it can go.
2: <laughs> so, you know, then that that end documentary, the little mini doc, the um, there's the scene where the lieutenant's standing in the alleyway and he's talking, reading yeah. off of a piece of paper and talking to the guys across from him.
0: Yeah, right before the battle of um, yeah. uh, the Somme.
2: Yeah, uh, the what he did to find out because like what is he saying? It, this apparently is a pretty famous piece of uh, of uh, video, and um, they went back into the archives and they looked for the date, and they looked for the unit, and they managed to find a little paragraph of kind of a pep talk that that they had uh, put out for general release of the troops, and that was it. That was what the guy was saying.
0: Yeah, that was pretty amazing.
2: Yeah, uh,
1: yeah, that they employed like professional lip readers to figure out what these guys were saying and dubbed it in, and then with this thing, it's like, well, I wonder if they have that in there, and like, sure enough, they had it, and there you go, and wow, yeah, it's just amazing. So yes, yeah, see this movie, please, it's awesome. So moving on to what's on your radar, and the first thing we have on here is Arena Rex, and the whole reason why I put this on here is because the Dadgum figures look so completely cool and i will say <laughs> since the time i put this on here and now there is a naked dude <laughs> miniature on here yeah
0: as soon I was, as i click the link i'm thinking yeah i know why adam put this on here
1: i i was not prepared
0: <laughs> and i know for, why adam like, doesn't do his own painting oh
1: <laughs> yeah it's, yeah, I I don't. Yeah, I'm not skilled at penis shading. I could I couldn't do it. I don't know how that how that would work. It's like, well, I have this miniature for Arena Rex, and I'm trying to get the penis correct. You know? What what pigment would you say I use here? So um yeah, I yeah I found this on Twitter, and the the figures look just incredible. But yeah, the naked
2: yeah, especially the his, dick
1: with his business out. You know, um, yeah, he's new. Since the last time I clicked <laughs> on this. But yeah, I really uh, dig the guy on the uh, giant lizard. I just fight the Ladon with Riding Cato. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. I'm assuming that did not actually happen in ancient Rome, but I could be wrong. And apparently this is a game because they list like um, the stats and stuff for it. So I don't know.
0: Yeah, it says three to six combatants per side, 30 to 40 minutes to play. So.
1: Yeah, the the game rules are one point one zero, and you can download them for free and uh, take a look at it. Yeah, three models per side, average standard game size, five minutes per player, about forty five minutes. So I mean, it's essentially like kind of gladiatorial combat, and uh, yeah. So just gonna toss it in here, and you know, hey, if you want naked dude, he's right there.
2: So so moving. I'm yeah. sorry, the um there's they're using playmobile for some of the scenery a Playmobil oh, yeah, arena fa-
1: yeah because it's a really cool piece yeah it really 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 is cool and if you are out there and you have a really rich friend that likes Playmobil, uh, he probably owns this <laughs> it's i've always thought it was a cool piece but i'd see it in like um toys r us you remember those kids um I'd see them in Toys R Us, and it'd be like, oh, that's like $200. You know, it was fascinating. I love the uh, Playmobil Romans they had. You know, you just forget about, like, all the rape and murder and debauchery. But, yeah, <laughs> that Playmobil piece is awesome, but it's, like, freaking expensive. It's a Playmobil Roman Coliseum where your children could, um, you know, murder Christians or whatever.
2: It looks like it's <laughs> Pagans, maybe about but, you know, 30 inches around.
1: Okay, I'm sorry, it's not two hundred dollars. Uh, Amazon's got it right now for uh a hundred bucks ninety nine, ninety eight. Wow, should I own get that? Nah, I'm not Oh there you out. go. I don't have you need it Adam. No no no. Okay. It's it is a hundred bucks, but it's thirty dollars shipping. So it's you know, it's right at hundred and thirty. And it's yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. And especially like painted up with the way these guys do, and you can see this in the show notes. If you click on the link, and, uh, yeah. But, yeah, I've always liked the uh, Playmobil Roman stuff. But, Mm -hmm. anyway. Moving on. Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle-Earth is an upcoming game by Fantasy Flight Games. And when I originally saw this, I was like, wow, they are going to do, like, a Star Wars Legion version of Lord of the Rings. How freaking cool would that be?
0: I think it's more like Imperial Assault, though.
1: Uh, Or even not even so much as that but it, it is cool it's it's not i wish they'd do something skirmish like legion or something like that but um yeah this is i don't know what to think of it being like app based and uh and stuff like that but you kind of like if you look at the components you kind of move around the map and like say you bump into something and then you go to combat and yeah it's there's a lot of card-based stuff and this
0: one this one looks like imperial assault or descent it looks like they're taking you know it's a little different it's got some changes to it but it, it looks like they're taking those those two games and putting in lord of the rings and then so descent has always had or at least for a long time has had app support. Imperial Assault just recently got it. It looks like this one is gonna be more fully integrated with the App Support so that, you know, it's not just from not just a single mission, but it looks like maybe even the missions combined together using the app to to create the bigger map and everything.
1: I mean I I assume you would take something like this and, you know, since you already had the kind of components of the bare bones there with the Imperial Assault or Descent, you would reskin it. And be able to make some money. Or at least tweak it a little bit, you know. But
0: um, this could be pretty cool. Yeah, it definitely looks interesting.
1: So uh, the next thing we had was Behind the Magic, which I thought was really strange. It is a fantasy mockumentary game. (laughs) In Behind the Magic, you create a fantasy mockumentary by playing a group of incompetent adventurers on a quest to save the world. Players take turns setting up and acting out scenes in character these scenes are interspersed with reality television-style confessionals with the bard who is documenting their journey. I just kind of thought it was like a really interesting kind of original take on just role-playing. You know, it takes about 30 minutes. You select a quest, and, you know, you do all that, and then you spend about an hour, hour and a half playing out the adventures, and if they succeed, and, you know, it's kind of improv without an audience. Yeah, I don't know.
0: Just, and it's only it's 10 bucks. I mean, yeah, if that's true. if you just sat down and played this for one night with a group of friends, that would be $10 well spent.
2: It reminds me this, of the episode of The Office when Dwight, Dwight Schrute said that uh, he had was uh, in Second Life. He was also a paper salesman, but a paper salesman that could fly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wait, isn't that where Jim had to go in there and be a better salesman or something?
2: I think, Did yeah, Jim, of course, went in there and messed with him. as i recall
1: wow second life that's something i haven't heard in a long time it's probably still up uh the next thing we had is something i'm super excited about mortal gods and of course as i see now the stupid um site won't load but that's okay i'm very familiar with this and uh can talk about it because MortalGods.co.uk will not open anyway what it is is an upcoming skirmish game set around the peloponnesian war so think saga only with peloponnesian greek city-states so that's super cool really neat it uses uh some already established uh plastics and
0: that's that's you know, two by in, two in,
1: battlefield right Mm, yeah it's three by four.
0: Oh, okay. That's four. bigger than that. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And it's probably about twenty figures aside or less is generally around where Saga is. Saga's around fifteen. And of course you could do horde armies that are just a ton but they die really quick. Um really, really excited about this game. I ran into it on uh Facebook or something and I was like, Wow, this is super cool. Because, uh, yes, I want
0: to do Skirmish,
1: Peloponnesian War.
0: But you're going to have to pay to have it shipped across the ocean.
1: Uh, well, to a degree. My close personal friend over at NWS, I sent them an email said, will you be carrying this since it's made by a company that uh, that is games that you already carry? Which I wish I could say, because, but the stupid site won't load. Er. <laughs> Uh, and he was like, yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, oh, sorry. Foot sore Miniatures. That's where it is. That's who has it. And let me, maybe I'll edit it. Oh, there all you go. Out. Maybe I won't. There you go. So now you guys can take a look at it. <clears throat> so, uh, yes. NWS Miniatures will be carrying, uh, the starter set for this for like, uh, 37 bucks plus shipping. So I'm like, fucking sold. I'll buy that all day long. But Vitrix is the, uh miniatures company that already has the plastics for these and it's just really neat uh i dig this like i said i earlier i just dug out my 15 millimeter spartans and greeks and they look awesome you know i love like the shield art on these guys 300 was not historically accurate but it's still an awesome (laughs) movie you know it's yeah you can do all that stuff you can be like spartans what is your profession you know and yeah it'd be awesome so I'm gonna be all over this absolutely buying uh, buying into this this is super super cool because I mean saga is a lot of fun if you want to get into dark age gaming I highly recommend that it's uh, it's a little expensive with the rule book because they do this dumb thing with the they have their boards and you have to buy special dice and you roll them each turn to see what you can do uh yeah i get that it it's flavorful but you know it is a little expensive but it's a lot of fun a lot of fun i get to play it about once a month here and i really enjoy it but this i'm pretty sure i can get the guy i play saga with into playing this and uh yeah i'm i'm really excited for this and this is coming out in uh end of march 2019 So I'm assuming NWS will start taking pre-orders next month. And, uh, yeah, I'll be all over that. So
2: there you go.
1: So who wants to tell me about
2: Star Wars decals? Oh,
1: well, I was
2: just uh, ahead of that. I have finally sat down and figured out a a Star Wars Legion Army list. Because I have enough stuff to make an actual list now. Because you have to have three of the core units. And um, then, yeah, so I've got... Basically I got to 799 points. That'll um, do it? Yeah. So, so I was what I was you, happy... you're...
0: What leaders are you running?
2: Uh that's with Han and Chewie. Oh, okay. And then uh, the um the Wookies I think without the Bowcaster. Oh okay.
0: Uh, I've got and uh, then... I've got some Wookies still in the box. I haven't gotten them out yet.
2: Oh okay well, I don't have a paint. I don't have any of that painted yet. I just got all the cards out and it all out. And I thought, well, okay, this is all go together. Yeah. I, uh, I
0: got some stuff painted up last week and got enough painted so I could go play again and went out on Tuesday. And, uh, unfortunately, you know, I'm, not sure how to feel about this. I'm not happy about it, but uh, all the Legion – there was no Legion play that night. In fact, all of the tables were reserved for other games, no. so I was a little annoyed about that. What, what but, other games were there? Name them and shame well, them. Well, you know one of them, 40K. <laughs> Boo. But then they also had Star Wars Destiny and Keyforge were the other two. So I was a little surprised at that because Tuesday is supposed to be Star Wars Legion night, but apparently their turnout hasn't been very good. So I'm a little worried that Legion is kind of getting into a death spiral because no one's showing up to play, which means they don't reserve tables, which means no one will show up to play. The only thing I know is I know the stuff is selling, um, and I've got a friend that's buying it, so – you know, I'll have people to play with, but I think FFG is really going to have to get Star Wars Legion, some organized play, and some tournaments. Otherwise, they're going to start to sputter out, I'm afraid, which is a shame because they've got really good stuff coming out. We're gonna talk about that later yep. in the news.
2: So – and one thing I was wondering about is that there's – I was looking for some decals, like some water slide decals. And so you could give them like sh- shoulder
0: patches and stuff like the Rebels. Yeah, insignia.
2: yeah. Um, and so there's, I did see that the, you could get some for doing nail art, for like like doing doing nails. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know if that would be appropriate to use on a model too. I mean, it seems like the the, the scale would be all right. Um, yeah. So yeah.
0: I, I would think so. I know this is a while ago, so I can't give me any details, but I do remember someone with some sort of decals or you know like the water slide that you use on the like the plane models that I used to make when I was a kid where they did have some rebel insignias they were putting on people's shoulders okay. and stuff. So
2: now there is a company called fighting piranha graphics that does 40 K and they do cav and they might do some other, uh, they do
1: battle tech too. Yeah. Yes. I bought from
2: them. Um, so, I mean, you know, maybe some of that sort of stuff would be adaptable. Um, you know, it does, would it be all right to have a Jade Falcon decal on your, uh, and you ETRT. can do whatever you
0: want. I've seen a bunch of people that have turned uh turned General Veers into Admiral Thrawn. I've seen mm-hmm. people that have done uh they've taken Vader and they've they've cut off half his face mask and put him in like a you know a beat up Anakin Vader mix. I've seen I haven't seen these things on the table. I've seen them on Reddit. But yeah, people have done all sorts of crazy stuff. I think as long as well, if there's no tournaments, it really doesn't matter at all. But I think as long as you're not making your figures significantly like, taller or shorter, then
2: modeling I think it's fine. for advantage. Yeah. <laughs> so there's the uh, in the rebels, there's the the blue guys that are the base. Uh, they're the core unit, the the core trooper, the the blue head and the red eyes. So there's an alien there.
0: Yeah, uh, the Doros. Uh huh.
2: Okay. So yeah. it seemed like that that head could be rejiggered into a. Um, into a Vader head like if you had the half half mask yeah and you know cut the head off and and glue that one on there and but whatever um,
0: yeah I- I'm lucky enough to get my guys put together and painted so
2: <laughs> yeah absolutely and uh, I'm, I'm getting ready to play some D&D again we uh, one of the guys that I played with was really heavily involved in the election and um, so then once that wrapped up he's like well let's Let's you know, let's get it all back going again, because of uh, the holidays and the election. We just haven't been playing for quite a few months, so we're kind of gearing up to play uh, some more D anD D. I think I'm going to play a Minotaur Warlock. So all right. <laughs> I like
0: that. I'll try not to piss you off.
2: All right.
1: <laughs> Reminds me of the Torin in um, World War. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so there are stats for the Torin, which is what I originally went to. But I believe the Minotaur is um, maybe an actual D and D race. But so if you do a search for Torin 5e, it will give stats for that, hmm, which okay. is a homebrew thing. So it'll either be a Torin or a Minotaur. All
1: right. The next thing we have is the Sagas of Midgard, a cinematic Norse RPG. Because I mean, honestly, if you're gonna have a Norse RPG, don't you want it to be cinematic? But you want big wolves and dragons and rainbow bridges or
0: rainbow and, shit. and Valkyries and yeah,
1: yeah, you want all that anyway. So um, this is it's here, it's Norse. Get used to it. You know, it's, it's right here. Um, and it's available on Drive RPG. This is kind of like where I ran into it, and uh, it comes from Drinking Horn Games. So I'm just gonna bring this to your attention. It might be something you want to do is like you know hang out with Thor and loki and shit and yeah and a bottle of me no get no yes drink lots of me i don't know i've tried meat it's a little too sweet for me <laughs> but um yeah and there's no guarantee the loki you hang out with will be as charismatic as tom hiddleston so
0: yeah uh, you, you may not have a tom hiddleston in your party
1: yeah that's true I mean, golly! If you're like,
0: I'm gonna be Loki,
1: you know, you'd be like, ugh, well, I don't know, Steve, you're just not that cool. I don't know. You might not
0: have a Chris Helmsworth in your party either, no. <laughs> That's true.
2: <laughs> That's very so very true. There is a, a show that I have not seen on Netflix called Norseman, and it's it's set in Scandinavia, but it's a comedy. Really? Yeah.
1: I ha- oh, okay, yes, it is a Norwegian. Comedy TV series about a group of Vikings living in the village around 790. Okay, so it's the antithesis of Vikings, I guess. Yeah, it's. You know, honestly, <laughs> I, I haven't watched any of those, and I feel like I should because I play Saga, you know, and that's basically what it is—is is, you know, it's Vikings and shit fighting, you know, and I don't know. I'll add it to my list. <laughs> I wonder, yeah, it's. Uh, well, well the- I didn't know. Can you guys actually hear this? Because yeah. I can hear it. In the mic. Yeah. I, 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 no. <laughs> I wonder if it's. I wonder if it's recording. Yeah. It is funny. I, you know. Go over there. Anyway. I this to my list. Yeah. It looks funny. Anyway. Um,
2: yeah. Saga's a Midgard. <laughs> I, I spun you out a little bit. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, well, I, I did click on Scandinavian TV shows because I'm curious. The <laughs> Rain is on there. As dumb as it sounds, it's actually really cool, and I suggest you watch it. Um, uh, Deadwind. I hear good things about, and Dadgum. There are a lot of them on here.
0: So we have arrived at the part of the show where Adam's googling Scandinavian TV shows.
1: I know. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Look, Harold on War Games. You won't find this there. This is what you want. This is why you come here. It's like, what will he Google next? I don't know. I've got to listen to it. <laughs> Look, when we actually get some listeners and do some um actual merchandise, it's going to be great. People walking around with Chance of Gaming uh, logos with the the slogan on the back, what will you Google next? (laughs) (laughs) Live Googling. Actually, no, recorded Googling that you can look up later. (laughs) Anyway, the next thing we have is Root, the River Folk expansion. Yeah,
0: that one just came to my friendly local gaming store, and I heard it was out, so I went and picked it up. I haven't had a chance to play it yet. I literally just got it an hour ago, but I'm looking forward. So it's got the... It's got the lizard folk and the, the river people, but um, the thing that I'm most looking forward to in this expansion is it has uh, a solitaire and co-op mode in it, where I guess it's sort of like a like a bot for the cats, and then you can play any number of factions as, uh, as co-op, or you can just play by yourself as, in solitaire mode. It's also got another vagabond, so you can have two vagabonds in the same game, which I think will be an interesting mechanic.
1: Now, this game continues to be one that I wait for my friend Chris to spend money on <laughs> and not me. But uh, I really want to play it. I, I, I Every day I check the miniature market sales and it, it's not there. Um, and I will say the Riverfolk expansion isn't this it, – it, you got it on Kickstarter if you backed it, but that was like a year ago. I believe so, yeah. And now, yeah. Yeah, now it's, it's made it to yep. um, retail. It's yeah, out of I print now, cover. as far as I
2: know. Yeah, it I think it right. just
0: showed up in my gaming store yesterday, so I think they just had a reprint. I saw some of the, I saw a couple of copies game? of of the base game and the expansion at my really? gaming store today. So, um, if you're looking for it, I would get out there quickly
2: before it sells out. Uh, okay. I, mean, I'm,
1: I love the artwork on it. Um, you know, you've got oh yeah Arter, Emmett Otter coming down the river there and he's giving the
2: side eye to the little <laughs> lizard guy. Okay, hey, let's, let's wrap, wrap say, this nonsense buddy. up. I have a game store to get to. <laughs>
3: like, well, what's going on, buddy? Break right I'm just here. holding this
1: <laughs> I'm just holding this otter skull. It doesn't mean anything. I've got a knife in my hand. It's okay. Come on over here. Honestly,
0: I think the uh the the cutesy artwork combined with the super cutthroat gameplay is one of my favorite things about this game
1: uh, it's it's the cutesy yeah. maples. i mean too, the, you know the
0: woodland alliance they're literally terrorists and i love them <laughs> <laughs> it's my That's favorite faction to play uh the green guys yeah the mice okay uh-huh. <laughs> it's like yeah let's let's burn this shit down show how it is
1: fuck capitalism yeah, yeah let's do this <laughs> I like this. Who designed Root? By the way, you know I've Cole never Worley. looked that up to see if they've ever done anything else.
0: Yeah, Cole Worley was... did. He uh, he did vast crystal caverns as well. Oh,
1: so I'm looking okay. at vast. Uh, he...
2: Too.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, I he did
0: infamous and infamous track. That's right. He did do that one. I forgot about that. That's a Hollingsfield game. I've heard of that one? Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: Okay. Now looking on board game geek, I do not see him credited with
0: vast. Really? I do. Not. I was sure yeah, he I'm did vast. Or maybe he did Vast Crystal Caverns. Is that an expansion for Vast?
1: Or? No, I, I don't see him credited with that. I see him doing an Infamous Traffic, John Company, uh, Pax Premier, blah, 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 and then Root and Root the Riverfolk expansion. So he is listed as the designer for Root the Riverfolk expansion. So
0: there you go. I don't maybe know. Vast is just the same publisher. Maybe that's what I was thinking.
1: Yes, yeah, Leader Games does vast. Oh, okay. This one I've uh, I bought um, a while ago, I think at Gen Con a couple of years ago, and uh, have not got it to the table yet. Okay. To my great sadness, so there's that.
0: And then When we meet up this summer, we're all going to have to bring some games we haven't played. And I, I know, like, play
1: all it. the shit we talked about that we haven't played, let's do it.
2: We should play some ASL. So... I will bring it. <laughs> all right.
1: It would be fantastic, it. you trying to teach... Teach me and Roy how to play it. Yeah, definitely. We'll record it, stream it out.
2: So is it only two? Still... Uh, one one on one. You can It's it's
0: possible to play other than one on one, but it is a one on one game. Um, okay. Some of the some of the historical modules that are like big campaign mode, those are more likely to be played multiplayer. But it's it is basically a one on one game. Okay. If you wanted to, you could set it up like there are some scenarios where. You know, you're going to control these guys and I'm going to control these guys, but Mm -hmm. it's still it's still two players playing each other. You're just taking one and dividing it up.
2: Okay. so we talked to a guy about a thing. Yes, we did. And I'm sure he's been like war. Well,
3: what you guys supposed yeah, to post Yeah, he that, did uh, he did post.
0: He sent out an email saying, "Yeah, this is coming soon." And I think he posted on Twitter saying this is coming soon. So, here it is. So,
1: uh yeah, we talked to um LJ Play about his uh fantastic game.
2: That's uh Justin Line, Line Gang, Lean, yeah. That's who we talked to. Yeah.
1: Warline. Warline is the game. That we discussed, yes. So, um, yeah, talking to talking to Justin about Warline was really interesting uh, because, I mean, for me, it was more the manufacturing level of like, you know, why are you on Kickstarter? Why do you want this much money? You know, and uh, that was just interesting to see. So, listen to this interview. We recorded a whole bunch, and I just chopped it down to what you have there. It's him talking to us. Him showing us the game on Vassal, and uh, yeah, look at the Kickstarter. You can take a look at the game board. You can see what we're talking about, and um, yeah, just check out this interview. And uh, we'll be right back in just a minute.
4: I'm a little bit strange and thinking that I figured, hey, so I don't have really, I don't have any cash to flow to to uh, hire reviewers to to take a look at this game or anything. So figured hey if people can actually play the game and see that the game is done it's oh my gosh this design is done the, the pre production's all finished and everything like that they can make their own decision rather than uh like relying on somebody else uh, but i don't <laughs> i don't know if that strategy is going to work it doesn't seem to be working very well right now so um couple that with the fact that it's probably on the harder side to learn the game um it's, yeah it's probably not working did um so those of you who have Vassal fired up, have you already gone and downloaded the mod? I
0: just did. Logger just did in it right out.
4: now. Yep. Did you grab the one one point two point zero, the very tallest, the uh, very highest one in the stack? Yes. Okay. Yeah, for some reason Vassal does not um, does not like break it up into like archives, like put all the past versions into a separate section. So it's kind of overwhelming that if somebody iterates quite a bit on their file. Okay. I, well, I see that
2: Richard
0: joined. Yeah, I see Roy in the main room. Okay. All right. Where do I get the actual file? If you just just type in Warline Vassal, it'll go up. Yeah.
4: Yeah. yeah. And I I assume y'all are online playing it, right? You said they're in the room. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes. No, I see you now. We're
0: we're in the main room. We haven't made a separate room yet.
4: I see you guys. Um, I've actually never played the Vassal version live online. I've only used it to play asynchronously, so this will be fun. (laughs) All All my online play has been Tabletop Simulator.
0: So. I like TTS a lot. I used to play uh, X-Wing with my daughter on, on TTS a lot just because, you know, with the movement templates and it's just so well-programmed, it's it's so much easier just to fire up TTS and drop your list into uh, onto the, the board rather than set everything up.
4: Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can get in and out like in a fraction of the time. Absolutely. Okay, okay. Um, so I'll start off by walking you through what you're seeing on screen, give you some context. So the left half is um, the battlefield, that's a seven by seven grid. This is a scale of uh, one mile, so that's a one square mile swath of terrain it represents. Um, And then on the right side uh, are all the helpers and then all of, uh, both of your kingdoms. So the kingdom of flame, the leftmost one, uh, red and black, and then the white and bluish is the kingdom of frost. Um, How many
0: factions do you have in the game?
4: So we have uh, these two factions completely arted up and ready to go. Mm -hmm. We have two additional factions who are about 90% design complete. And then we have a fifth faction who is probably around 60% design complete. Okay. Um, But I'm I'm really anal about testing things for like six months to 12 months, especially in a competitive game like this. So – these ones have been almost a year and a half tested in their, in their current iteration outside of some final or some uh, subtle numbers tuning and stuff like that. Um, but the, uh, the two that I said are like 90%, I still want to, to, to hammer on those for a few more months until they're, they're just really, uh, quote unquote perfect, you know, until Mm -hmm. they go in the wild and someone breaks them and I find out they're not (laughs) perfect. So, yeah. So, so two in the base game and then, uh, two expansions shortly after launch. And then, uh, uh, Though I'm gonna try to release two expansions at a time, at hopefully a six-month uh, um, division between them, give okay. people time to actually digest them and um, really discover like all the cool intricacies and strategic possibilities that each one has. So, because I want I want this game to be, um, I kind of make some remarks about it on the page um, and in the 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 grand overview on the website at the very bottom. Um, I really want to just have, like give people the tools to be creative and to create their own strategies and and craft their own means to victory. So um, that is kind of one of the key design tenets of this. So uh, also on the screen, we have some helper, we have some little regions you have at the bottom, a few uh, of these squares with numbers in them and uh, what looks like barbed wire. Those are the prisons. Um, The black ones are the prison for the flame army. Um, and the white ones are the prison for the frost. And then the vertical stack, one, two, three, four, five, the skull, Those are, that's the graveyard. And so prison, prisoners will obviously be put in the prison and slaughtered battalions will be put in the graveyard. Um, additionally, over here we have uh, outposts, which I'm just moving, moving just so you can see something move. These are outposts, there's two for each black and white side. Um, those will be, you'll place those on the battlefield uh, in positions that are uh, beneficial to yourself. And we have ramparts, which somebody grabbed earlier and moved. There's oh, that's six, me. Yep. six, yeah, it's just six bird battalion. We call those resources just keyword when they're unbuilt, um, just for various uh, purposes that really don't apply to the, the current kingdoms, but they will for uh, one of the future kingdoms. Um, and then uh, these are these are finit. Um, you have six in the game to use, and when they're demolished, they're gone. So. Um, That's why we kind of classify them as resources, and then they become ramparts when you build them. And then the marks, um, there are two red marks, a blue mark and a yellow mark. The two red marks with the skull sword, flamey thing, those are sacrificial (coughs) sacrifice marks, pardon me. And then the vigor mark is the blue one with the V, and the stunned mark is the yellow one with the work on it. Uh, The first thing we will do is uh, we go through a phase called scouting terrain, and... Um, what this means is each of us will populate our own territory, and our own territory is the three rows that are closest to us. And since we're not in 3D, you pick which side you want to be on, bottom or top, and I'll be on the opposite. And, and you guys then, can all play against me if you want to.
0: <clears throat> so for the terrain, uh, I think in the other video you said that this is basically simultaneous, right?
4: This is simultaneous. Everything is simultaneous up until <clears throat> the deployments, uh, which is the third kind of phase of everything. So Okay. So yeah, you can go ahead and.
0: <clears throat> Which side are we playing? Are we playing ice or fire? Uh,
4: if you're asking me, then whatever you want, whatever you want to <laughs> pick.
0: We'll take the ice, guys.
4: Okay. <clears throat> Put some so, down. So when you're when you're placing terrain, um, one of the things to think about is what what battle arts harmonize with your kingdom. Are what what. Which of your kingdom's battle arts harmonize with the terrain? So you're kind of trying to build something that's advantageous to you, but disadvantageous to the opponent. Um, And to kind of help enlighten what that means, um, somebody put a mountain up here. Uh, So if you notice the three red diamonds on the mountain on either side, that is the cost to march onto that terrain. So it costs three energy basically to march onto that terrain. However, the Frost have a passive battle art called Mountain March because they live in the mountains, and it costs them always one to march onto mountain. So you can create an impediment and slow me down on encroaching into your ba- into your territory with that, and it affects you none. You move over it just as briskly as you move over a flatland, and a flatland is what is a no terrain card. So that's considered flatland, and that just costs one to march into. And the other battle art that they have um, that is uh, terrain interacting is the freeze. And they can actually freeze a water body terrain into an ice terrain. Uh, And if you click on in that terrain list, if you click on the ice and look at it, you'll see it costs four. It costs four for everybody but Frost because they have another passive, which is ice march. And it costs them one to march onto. But if you look at the water body, um, you'll see that it has a giant diamond instead of a number of small ones. Whenever you see a giant diamond, that means it exhausts the remainder of your magic. So you have to express every bit of energy you have left to march onto that terrain. Um, So frost could freeze that water. So that would take them all their uh, remaining magic to march onto. But if they froze it, then it would now cost them just one to march onto and everybody else still four to march onto. So that's how those work. Uh, all the all the kingdoms have some sort of terraforming battle art, and um, most of them have a terrain proficiency battle art as well, marching. <clears throat> uh, so yeah, and the only rule is here when you're when you're um, scouting your terrain is you can place up to nine terrain cards into your territory, which is again it's the three rows on your side closest to your side, and so it could be any mix of any terrain that you want the the prison is one of my favorite systems in this whole entire game because it creates this really neat uh pressure mechanism that you can use and just basically hold it over your opponent's head and and kind of use it as a ticking time bomb it's very cool it it very much kind of plays into that uh maneuver warfare 3 i don't know if you guys watched uh at all my first live q a where i kind of detailed like how the the uh, um, David Boyd's maneuver warfare theory actually was used as a framework for this game, um, but uh, that prison is one of the things I think really helps express it more than more than anything else. It's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, and you were talking about the the way you can lower your opponent's strength if they're mm-hmm. in prison. I know you can. Would is it tor- torment?
3: Is torment. Yeah. To, yeah. Yeah. So, nice, but that nice leads to verb.
0: what I think is what's fascinating me about this game is the balance between strength and maneuverability oh, and awesome. you, you sell this as a maneuver game, but your strongest units have the least a bit of maneuverability. So I think that's what's interesting. I, I would really like to hear what your, uh, where that came from.
4: So yeah, that's actually a cool question. I was asked this last night on this, on the second uh, QA I did, and um, it's got an interesting roots in that this game, when it very first started, this was like, Ten years ago, um, so I have a history. Uh, my background is video games, and um, I've always I've always designed very uh, play mechanism for it, very tangibility forward uh, design. I would I always come up with with a, a mechanism that just feels good to to play with. Just something um, as, as simple as what happened here was <clears throat> I was I don't even know where. I got this little wooden one-inch wooden block from I it's been so long but I had it and I was just toying around with it and just thinking man this is just cool to just flip around and explore the sides and stuff like that and so I started to try to develop a game around it and then it felt very fluid so I was like oh I want to make this game that that players actually have a lot of creativity and in in the way they actually accomplish their goals and stuff and then I never really got anywhere with it for a long, long time. So it wasn't until about three and a half, maybe four years ago-ish, that I picked it back up. And it's because I ran into some roadblocks to accomplishing those goals. But when I discovered the movie of Warfare Theory, it opened it back up. And that's that gave me the spark and the direction that I needed to, to finish the game up. But back to the cube, um, I just recognized, like, oh, that's neat. There's, like, the, we have the six sides, so... Yeah that can express six, six different, uh, status, uh, statuses, whatever the plural is for that stat. I, (laughs) um, it can, it can express six of those. It's just cool because you can just so quickly flip between those. Um, and so that's when it started to, to, um, kind of mold into it. Oh, these are, these are units with six strength on them, six defense or whatever. And, and to keep it very elegant, um, I decided to to just couple that same value to their offensive power because um, at a high level thematically it makes sense that a unit with very heavy armor and re- weaponry is going to also be powerful and be able to deal more damage anyway. Um, and so in in trying to keep it streamlined, those that one value that arms value in the bottom left is is an expression of both uh, offensive and defensive capability. The maneuver maneuverability of that came from the idea of i thought it was really but from well the first basic seed was okay i want this to be i want these each of these units to be capable capable of being autonomous um meaning that each one has a unique purpose within the game uh and a a certain level of value um, none none more valuable than the other just different in value uh, and so that's when I started to give the lower ones higher maneuver values because when I very very first started it, it was just a fixed they all just had six um, it was probably an arbitrary number when I picked it um, but uh but yeah I started to, to play with the balance like that and then that's when I developed it as an inverse relationship an exact inverse relationship where um, it's one for one every time your arms goes down you're um maneuverability goes up by one uh, so and that's that's kind of where it grew from um, but uh what it has led to is is some really cool um support of that that maneuver warfare stuff that that i always talk about so mysteriously <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
4: so but it's it's very neat though um, the the stronger units um and like you said it's a maneuver game but the stronger units have less maneuver but what the stronger units have is more threat. They have more influence over the battlefield altogether. Um, they present danger on more than just um, the uh, immediate zones around them. So you can use them to really manipulate your opponent's decision-making much more so than you can with a, a Arms 1. Because Arms 1, sure, it can get across the battlefield very easily, and it can do a bunch of things, build some, build some ramparts, etc., but it's if it hits me, it's not going to hurt that bad, uh, and i might and I'll gain an, a maneuverability out of it. So and and here, in, uh, that's an important thing as well. Is um, I feel it's very important for a game, a confrontational game, to have very transactional combat. Um, meaning that uh, if I want to get something, hey, AKA bring you down some, then you're going to gain something back. I have to pay a price for it and. And that is what happens. This whole game. This whole game is about making sacrifices. Um, uh, well, that's one of the things this game about. But it, there's a big theme of, of making sacrifices. So uh, when you strike the enemy, you have to be wary because they are going to get more maneuverable. What can they do after I strike them? Uh, that kind of stuff. So I hope that explains it somewhat.
0: I like the different victory conditions too, and I like the fact that it you you don't you can obviously pick one that you're you think you're going toward and if the opportunity presents itself or if that doesn't pan out you can switch to another one at some point too so a couple yeah. of them like like i said the, the graveyard and the outpost destruction sort or the prison and the outpost destruction kind of go together mm-hmm. um and then yeah. you can always just hammer them to fill up the graveyard <laughs> yeah
4: yeah and it's yeah that's that's how i want people to approach it too it's like it's very it it helps a lot to pick one especially at the start to give yourself a framework for a strategy right and it kind of leads to this is how I'm going to build out my army and all that stuff uh, according to what I'm trying to accomplish if I want to do an overpower and just slaughter a bunch of guys I want to build an army that can accomplish that and I want to build terrain in my backfield that can prevent the enemy from doing something other victory condition before that happens Um, or an Case of flame. I can build out my backfield with a bunch of traps so that I can take you out if you get back here and, and still work towards my victory conditions. But like you said, on that moment's notice, if if you you recognize that gap in the surface of the opponent's surface, that you know I'm oh my gosh, I can just plunge in there and now take this uh, uh, pillage victory condition. I'm going to do it, and that makes your opponent all of a sudden it's like oh my god, now I have to react to that right now. I have to play my game completely differently. So. Having those those five conditions um, coupled with the the extreme flexibility and and um, nuance of what any given battalion can do uh, has really led to like some of the closest games consistently that I've ever really played in the game. I mean, it comes down to the wire so much in this game and it's something i love it's really really fun it makes them all, it makes all the battles thrilling
0: what's the average play time is it 45 minutes an hour maybe
4: between 30 and 45 minutes is oh, average okay. playtime. time so okay. it really just depends on how how intensely somebody you know studies the the field on their turn so, but but the conditions are short enough and it everything moves so briskly that yeah even even on a long a long thinker 45 minutes is considered a long game um, and we, we usually play at least two games each um, on our organized play sessions. So
2: I'm going to put the big guy somewhere.
4: Yeah, go for I'm it. i going
2: to put him right here in the front.
4: And so, yeah, and, yeah, and that, that rule is, of course, it's just uh, your, your territory. Now, the facing of a battalion matters greatly. So because you're on that top side, you're going to want to manually face them all, They don't have to be facing toward me. They they can be facing any way you want, but just know that they they have to be... They move in the direction they're facing, and you have to spend magic to actually turn, so...
2: Okay. Um, Oh, wrong direction.
4: I think there's... I think the Q and E are hotkeys to... Oh, F and D. F and and D on this one, yeah. Ah, there you go, yeah. F and D will rotate those.
1: So the actual physical game, these are cubes, right?
4: No, they, well, in the prototype that we have been using, um, they are cubes. However, if you look at the page, we have a completely different industrial design form, which is uh, way more uh, user-friendly. So we had, the cubes are really cool. They look really cool, um, and we had a, we, we came up with a really innovative way to make it uh, easy to um, to understand how to change the status to the appropriate side. But we kept running into about 50% of the players never never could wrap their head around um, rotating them in the way they were supposed to be rotated uh, because their brains just thought, think oppositely, which then there's no solving that. We would teach them, and then they'd be, like, oh yeah, that's so cool. You do it right, and then next turn they would do it wrong again, and you'd be like, oh man. Um, so there would be these these weird hiccups in play as they like fumbled around trying to find the right status, and and this whole. Like the whole physical design of this game has been 100% user experience focused. Um, You see the recessed battlefield here, like all each of these zones is recessed so that these terrain cards sit in place and they can't get knocked around. You don't have any fiddling around with that stuff. Um, And uh, additionally, the cubes, because they had the art and status on all sides, there was a subset of players that were always getting distracted by that and they could never never just focus on that top side which was the the active status um so so we put a lot of thought into it and and decided to move over to uh, another solution which is a little more intuitive to to use is less distracting so we have this uh, uh a tray which is a it's a triple layer cardboard component um we call them the tray you can see those on the uh, campaign page uh, and that serves like three or four different really cool uh, purposes the first one being it makes them very easy to pick up and move and turn and rotate on the battlefield because um, a battalion you it, it requires uh, more complex physical manipulation than a than typical game components not just pick it up and put it here it's like the facing matters and you're gonna have to rotate it a lot and you have to move it a lot and stuff like that and so we didn't want it to be you're reaching down and you're like fingernailing that tile which is what the the battalion status are um your fingernail in that tile to, to get it up off the board, you know, so just making everything smoother. So the trays, the tile slots in the tray and, um, the, the models in the, th- uh, the tabletop simulator actually have the the tiles in the tray here and the vassal It's just the tile. Um, but, um, the, uh, models or the um, battalion slot into there. And there's a little groove on the front of the tray that, uh, one makes it really easy to take the tile out because there's a, a lip or a, a cut in the lip, so you can put your your finger and slide it out. Uh, two, that actually um, accentuates the facing direction. So when a battalion takes damage, another problem we had with the cubes was you picked it up and you were flipping it around, and then it was like, oh wait, which way was it facing? Oh shoot! And if, if one of them didn't remember, then it's like, oh, I think it was that way, and then you just have that weird, uncomfortable man. I could like lose the game or something because i forgot which way it was facing Um, so when you damage with the trays you take the the tile out um, and the tray sits in place and does not change facing so you can't forget which way it was facing Um, and then additionally uh, it serves as a an indication of which uh, player the battalion belongs to uh, because you can play in uh, three player or four player in this game and you can have Multiple players uh, commanding um, battalions from the same kingdom, so the the tray color actually helps that stand out. Like, oh, I'm the 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 red guys are mine, even though we're both flame. The red ones are mine. The black ones are yours. So
0: so for three and four player, do you basically just uh, you play two teams and like each player would get three units instead of six?
4: Absolutely. Yep. Okay. And yeah, yeah, and those trays I mentioned they're triple thick. and then I mean, I've been asked a million times why is this game so expensive? Why is my goal so high? and, and a lot of it comes from the uh, multi-layer components. The bad, the entire board is double layer. Um, and then all of the Italian trays are triple layers. So that's like three layers of high density carbon two of high density, but most of it comes from the manual labor. Like any any multi-layer, Component that you do requires hand assembly at the factory, and that just balloons the cost quite a bit. So, um, uh, I'm, ho- I mean, I'm not hoping. I know, I really know and feel that it will improve the user experience to a point where it will be worth it. But I think it's probably going to be a little bit of a battle to convince people. They'll just need to have to feel it themselves to be, to be able to understand why it's so important.
0: So, and it says on your Kickstarter page, you are not. You're not. This is never going to go to retail. Is that
4: right? No, no, no. I'm not saying never. I said it's not. It's not going to see a traditional retail model. So it's not. I'm not going to produce. I'm not going to um, produce extra units intentionally and send Got them it. to distributors. Retailers okay. are more than welcome to contact me for for like bulk rates and stuff. And there's even a pledge tier on there just for a buck where they can just do that and then they contact me and then we can discuss the um, how many they want, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. But, but, yeah, the, the cost logistics are just prohibitive for doing uh, a mass retail release. Um, it's, it's, it's almost $30 a unit uh, manufacturing cost, which is astronomical. So, so that's been one of my biggest challenges. I mean, we've worked it down from uh, all the way up almost $50 a unit. We've got it down to where it is. And we might be able to shave some more off, but but I'm struggling with that. So. <laughs> i think it's probably my biggest hurdle but i'm a stickler for that ux like like i said i came i came from uh from video games and ux is like tantamount in video games you know if it doesn't feel good if it's not easy to use then your players aren't going to come back they're not going to want to be there so i want this game to be completely transparent when you're playing it like the the operation of it to be completely transparent
2: So, uh, all right. So you said, Oh, Oh, go ahead. I I was just gonna say, tell us about your, uh, um, your background in video
4: games. Okay. Yeah. So, so I started way back in 2001, I believe it was, um, in Phoenix at a small studio that, uh, basically never went anywhere. It, uh, went under and then came to Austin, um, and uh, worked at Acclaim Studios, um, if any of you are old enough to remember that. Um, but that studio had a very famous in the video game industry crash and burn horror story in which like the whole organization shut down and all the employees got locked out and stuff. Um, but I had left like three weeks before that happened to a place called Edge <laughs> Um, and edge of reality is kind of where I consider I got my start because that's the first place I went where I actually worked on a game from start to finish and shipped the game. And mm-hmm. there I was under the creative direction of Richard ham, who people in the video game are the video and tabletop game, um, sphere know as Rado. Um, and so Rado was my creative director and lead at, uh, Edge of Reality, and I really consider him my mentor in game design. I learned absolutely so much from him. It was one of the coolest experiences. He's a wonderful person and an awesome game designer. Um, and so there we worked on, um, we resurrected the Pitfall franchise uh, from back from the Atari days and created a big 3D action-adventure game in, uh, called Pitfall The Lost Expedition. And I was the lead level designer uh, and then moved up to co-lead designer um, about halfway through the project uh, and then after that, we worked on some titles for DreamWorks. Um, and then um, in between that, I <clears throat> worked on some Nintendo DS uh, titles uh, for um, uh, for Marvel. So two or three Marvel games, Incredible Hulk and an X-Men game and such.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: And then... Um, I worked with Nintendo on a, a project, uh, Nintendo of America that they wanted to do. Um, but they never ended up taking anywhere, but, um, I only mentioned it cause man, I learned so much from just working directly with them. It was great. Um, but then, uh, moved from there to creative director position. And I was creative director at a small studio called Aspire Media here in Austin, um, who, um, prior to that, uh, they only did, um, Mac ports of really, um, high selling pc games so they do like all the call of duties and the sims and stuff like that they would port over to mac and they just made bank off doing that because they had a lock on the market so they're like hey let's start doing original games and they uh hired a studio director and then they built a uh, an ip studio an original ip studio and i was hired on as creative director there and what we did there was this really super innovative um nintendo ds game called treasure world which was a Uh, we called it an alternate reality game because you played the game in the real world you just the the device itself was kind of a vessel for the game and you walked around the real world collecting treasures uh, which were all triggered just by wi-fi signals Um, Mm -hmm. and then we did a companion to that which was a a massively multiplayer online um, platforming game so you could take the treasures you found in with the ds and upload them and then build uh, platforming levels 2D platforming levels and share those with people and like explore other people's levels and stuff like that. Uh, after that, I went independent. Um, and so, this was like this long period of me like trying to just explore my own craft and like teach myself how to program as well so that I could um, just kind of completely fully round my skill set. Um, and then, so I made a couple mobile games in which I did all of the engineering, all of the art, and all of the game design for. Uh, it took a while to do, but and they weren't even very big games, but there's just a lot of stuff to do, but I learned a, a, a junk ton during that, um, and then I guess I skipped over another important, um, I, while I was at, uh, doing the creative director work, um, crazy as I was still single and stuff, almost every night after work, I would just work on a video game at home, and I did that for four years on the same game, and, and finally completed it, and released it, uh, Just on the internet um and it became uh kind of an indie cult classic it was pretty sweet game um but uh what was it called it's called Glumbuster. um yeah if you google it you'll find a bunch of stuff on it um pretty pretty wicked game but that was that was like the first video game where i really started to focus on that that tangibility that play mechanisms i mentioned earlier and i wanted to design an entire game around that where the player was just constantly learning new ways to interact with things and and seeing things that look familiar but they operate differently so you have to relearn really how things work and and kind of play around with them and stuff like that um and we're left so indie and so i was indie for a while um and then i got to where i am today and that is a studio called hookbang um, and we don't just do video games. We are a general software studio where most of the stuff we do is actually for government and military, but we do video game projects when they come along. Um, we released a video game, a uh, mobile video game, uh, last, so a year ago in like mid January. So just over a year ago, um, or just under a year ago, maybe. Oh yeah. Just, just over a year ago. Uh, uh, that was, it's an AR, an augmented reality game. Um, but, uh, we worked on this project with Google. We were hired by Google to, to create this game, uh, with them. And it is, a, an AR game, very simple, uh, arcade shooter. But the cool thing about it is four people can play together at the same time on their own devices and see the same AR content in the same place in the world oriented properly and stuff to them. Um, so it's a very cooperative, just. Um, survival game essentially, arcade game. Um, so that's the last video game I worked on. But um, the important part about being here is, as I mentioned, we worked on government military stuff, and um, I'm charged with uh, doing research and proposals and stuff for certain for certain military projects. And it was then uh, a few years back that I found the I stumbled on the the maneuver warfare theory, um, and then that was the the spark that, that had me pick this game up that to that point was just this block game. I wanted to accomplish a certain goal with and couldn't figure out how to, and then found an entire framework to, to give my, my thoughts and my, my design direction. Um, and that was that theory. And so, yeah, it would have never came to be had I not started working at this place. So I'm definitely grateful that that happened. So it's always neat to uh, look back and see like the confluence of events that leads up to where we are today. So,
0: (laughs) so how did you get from digital to cardboard?
4: So I've always done cardboard and or wood, uh, as a hobby. I've done that since college. I actually did that before I ever did digital. I was in college. I was writing, uh, um, a role-playing system an RPG system. Um, I was designing, uh, a street fighter game that was using these little plastic cubes and stuff like that and just tons of crazy stuff like that and so I've got, I've got three or four well-developed tabletop games just like prototypey but perfectly playable stuff sit in my closet um but then yeah i went digital and that just it's an absolute time suck i mean working on video games it's insane <laughs> when you're working on the bigger titles um you know it's six months out of the year you're working 12 to 14 hour days sometimes six or seven days a week is insane so um the only reason i got to work on that that game independently i mentioned when i was creative director is because i i went into that studio with the mission that we are going to properly scope every game so that we don't work overtime because we want to come in and make a game that we're passionate about but not hate the game by the time we're done with it and then the game sucks because we hate it so so it freed me up to do that um but um because and since we I'm at this at hook now and we are not doing many video games We did the one with Google um, And we haven't done one since and I'm not sure when we will do another one. I Decided hey, you know, it's time to to actually Spend every like take everything I've learned about production and user experience and um, just all my my game design tenants and stuff like that and apply them to to this thing i've been doing as my hobby and like bring it to to life as a the to the tabletop um it was a it's a brand new challenge for me to a to a degree like the game design part isn't but the the whole production side of things and getting it all put together and you know into a factory you know it's very it's very different than video games and that video games are like it's so hands-on from start to finish like everything is like within one little team that's building everything together where the tabletop is as you guys know it's you know you have a director and a designer and producer and such and and it's it's there's a lot once the design is done there's a lot of hands off right you you just send it off to the factory and hope it comes back and you coordinate you know and get test units back and stuff like that and you work with them um but somebody else is is physically producing it as opposed to just you you and your team producing it so it's a neat, it's a neat, uh, neat change, neat dynamic. Um, I still have a lot to learn as you can see <laughs> from my Kickstarter campaign. <laughs> progress.
0: Well, how about the artwork? Is this someone you worked with?
4: No, this is a phenomenal guy. This, uh, this is Chen Chi. No, no, I don't know him all. He's a, he's a Taiwanese guy. He's in Taiwan. Oh, okay. He works on, he's an illustrator for uh, mobile video games in Taiwan. Um, But uh, I put a call out on ArtStation. I sent it out. I went and and called through like uh, 65 artists uh, that I thought would be adequate for what I was trying to express with the game and sent uh, a letter out to each of them um, seeing if they'd have any interest. (laughs) And I got about about 15 percent of them contacted me back and about two or three percent of them (laughs) were after they contacted me and talked in details were still interested and then from that I picked, uh, uh, Chen, um, because Chen has some of the most stunning color work I've ever seen from an artist. He is like a master at coordinating colors. And, um, so yeah, everything, if you, if you ever hit up, like if you Google art station, Chen, Chi, Hui, you'll find his page and you can see his stuff. Super young guy, <clears throat> hasn't been working very long. Um, but, uh, you can even see his progress on his page because he doesn't have that many posts. If you look at the very bottom, you can see, oh, these are dope. But you can see how they're, um, I don't want to say amateur at all because they're amazing. Um, but you compare them to what is at the top of the, the list in his, or at the top of his set. And it's just like, wow, you can see him improving at a like breakneck pace. It's great. And so he's been amazing to work with because <clears throat> here's what the, the direction I gave him we've got a kingdom of frost and a kingdom of flame go. <laughs> and that was it. And he started giving me back this stuff where he's like inventing these types of people and stuff like that, that I've never seen in a fantasy game before. I'm like, Oh, you are the best guy ever. This is the coolest working relationship. Um, and so he, he's, he's invented um, who these characters are as people and, and help drive this lore just from the illustrations he's created. And if you guys ever want to hear about that, I'll wax about the lore too, but um, I could go on forever about that.
1: You created the lore for the game. How long did it take you to kind of iron it out? So
4: it's, it's kind of grown organically throughout the process. Um, so it started when he gave me the first piece of character art, which was maybe a year and a half ago um, when I started building the lore for it. Because uh, up to that point, it was... It was still at that time blocks with uh, numbers and dots on them and uh, colored numbers and dots. Uh, but, yeah, once he gave me the first piece of art, that's when I just got this spark and, and started. I didn't really I – I, I say I started, but it just kind of just started coming to me. It was like, oh, this is sweet. Um,
1: so. Well, can you give us just kind of a little overview of the actual story of the <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I
4: can. Um, I'll try to be as brief as possible. So um, high level is – there's this world in which what we call the greater dragons exist um, and the greater dragons are g- Greater dragons they're unfathomably uh, To the human scope large like size of city or whatever. These are these massive beasts and this entire universe um, It uh, is driven by an energy called magic and you can just think of that just as is real-world energy just kinetics anything like that physics um, magic operate this world. It's not like some super mystical thing. It's just a, a, the way we spin it. Um, and these greater dragons were able to actually—they're—they—they so, are so powerful that they could harness magic to create things. And they created this—they created the land and the—the the, all the life on this world. Um, and they created this continent. The continent that this game particularly takes place on is called Sorrowland, um, and. They created this continent, and um, over time, they, like any artist, they kept expressing the desire to create more and more perfect things, and like like hone their skills and, and work towards their magnum opus. And their magnum opus, each of the greater dragons created a a people, um, and they create these people uh, in their own essence. Um, and so, the greater dragon Fire, uh, she. Created this people who ironically in front of you are the frost. This was her first Attempt to create something in her image not in her image, but in her essence and And so she got almost there she she was working toward her magnum opus and got right to the peak but never Leap never managed to leap over the other side and so she has these imperfect people the frost and We can talk about just really quickly If you hover to get a large image, you'll see that it's snowing around them and they're wearing very, uh, very little uh, armor. Um, So the frost, as they were created by 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 the dragon fire, uh, their body temperature runs hundreds of degrees. Um, So they are in the frost now because as an imperfect being, they were scorned and driven uh, into the mountains in which so for hundreds of years they've lived there and they've learned to harness the power of the frost And that's why they're now called the frost um, but uh, So in in creating these people uh, In recognizing that they weren't what she was striving for she didn't hate them or anything, but she wanted better and so she tried again and she created the flame the people of the flame um, and these are the perfect essence of the greater dragon fire they were her magnum opus uh, and the the flame are literally ethereal flame they are they are people made of ethereal flame and they require a carapace to actually maintain a form so the armor you see on them is not just protection it actually keeps them in form and able to actually physically exist and operate in that humanoid form if uh, the carapace were completely removed then they would just dissipate into Uh, Into the ether, you know, so the flame would just dissipate essentially they would be dead Um, so you quote-unquote kill a flame by Totally breaking off all its armor um And after they created the peoples The greater dragons expended so much energy creating these people that they had so much magic that they had little to none left uh, And they just left the world mysteriously. They just people started seeing them less and less Um, And this is after existing with them for a couple hundred years in which the greater dragons actually governed them and provided them with guidance and 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 taught them to live in harmony with one another and and stuff. Um, But uh, they left the world and nobody knew why and they eventually stopped seeing them all together. And in the hundreds, hundreds of years since, without uh, the benevolent guidance of these greater dragons, the people have degraded into Continuous conflict in which they call the War of Eternity because it's just lasted hundreds and hundreds of years and they don't know when it will ever end um, They're all just fighting for identity fighting for boundaries and just trying to establish uh, some sort of uh, Some sort of order in the world So and that's that's what the game is is just that that perpetual conflict the War of Eternity so, and we have um, like the future warliner holds um Extensions and stuff that that bring a little more of that lore in there's a uh, Cooperative game mode that we will be building uh, down the road in which um, two players With full armies each full armies of six um, Will fight against a an uh, Atoma dragon so the greater dragons left but the lesser dragons still exist in the world and they're uh, an immense threat to um, To the civilized peoples of the world Um, so yeah. Um it's probably as into it as I should go. <laughs> Otherwise I'll just keep talking. All right. Uh well tell me about
1: like why you chose to go with Kickstarter.
4: Okay, so I chose to go to Kickstarter because <laughs> it is gonna be impossible to convince a publisher to produce this game for a number of reasons. One, how do you explain this game to somebody in one sentence? You can't. Like you can say it's a game about war, it's a war game or it's a conflict game or whatever, but that doesn't really communicate what the game is. Um, it's so unorthodox. Um, and so messaging wise, it would be difficult um, Two, the components because I'm an anal butthole and want to make sure that the user experience is nothing but superb. Uh, the components are necessarily more expensive to to manufacture there's no publisher in the world that would publish a game that cost 25 to $30 a unit. It just wouldn't, they would never would. Um, they'd never be able to make a margin off of it. Uh, but me going to Kickstarter, not caring if I make a dollar because I just want people to play this game. I can measure out a goal that will give me exact money. I need to manufacture it, get through all the channels that get it to backers, uh, pay the artist for his future work and for his most recent work. And, um, and then cover warehousing and stuff for overflow units and then have a little bit of a safety net. Um, because I don't have to make a margin, I could take these units that cost $25 to $30 and I can charge the, the $60, $70 that I am. Uh, and then that, uh, <clears throat> that will help cover all those other costs for everything past the manufacturing. Um, so a typical retailer <clears throat> model is to produce a unit and then charge the consumer roughly five times the unit production cost. And as you can see, there's no way I could have done that with this because <laughs> you'd be paying for like $150, $200 a hundred and fifty, two hundred dollar game. Um, and without minis, ain't nobody gonna spend that kind of money on a game. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, that's why that's so why I chose how- Kickstarter. Um, well, reason one. Reason two is I'm so just deeply invested in this game that I have a very clear vision of what. I want it to become um that i guess you could say i'm afraid to lose control but it's not really that it's just there's so many things i want to do with it that i want to be a part of Um, the organized play scene i want to build up all the expansions i'm i've hinted at um the the continuous design of these kingdoms it's so so fun to design these kingdoms um like the 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 core systems are so elegant that it just basically naturally leads into like one kingdom or the other, and like, oh, I could we can just lean on this axis right here, and then all of a sudden we have something that plays completely differently, um, like the sea uh, kingdom that's coming up and stuff like that has leans on the axis of the route, which we never even talked about yet on the play, and the route is a super interesting uh, mechanism that has multifaceted use for stunning the opponent, repositioning the opponent, and that's the way you take them prisoners with a route, um, so... We have a yeah we'll have a kingdom that that, that highlights that um, and it's cool too because each of those kingdoms help players better learn the value of those individual systems as well because they're more more um, uh, encouraged to to use those systems and see the effects of them yeah that's a long way of saying this is why I use Kickstarter so
1: how much are you looking for on
4: Kickstarter my goal my funding goal is like one eighteen five hundred. Yes. And that's why it's weird is because, like I said, we um, I oh, my gosh, it's been incredible. So I'm fortunate enough to have a liaison from the manufacturer I'm working with, who is Panda Games, who is like super top notch. Um, they did Scythe, They did. They do the pandemic series. Um, a lot of super, really high quality, cool games. Um, I have a liaison here in town which I didn't pick them because of that. I picked them and then all of a sudden found out that I got assigned a liaison who was in town. We're like, Oh, you're, in, um, Oh my God, that's amazing. So we actually meet in person, um, at least twice a month and we suss out every detail or every problem and then, and, and work out everything. He's helped me a ton work to the new industrial design and like get it to a point where it was manufacturable. And even though it's higher cost, it's not cost prohibitive. Um, and, uh, yeah, so uh, so I worked with him directly to to establish that cost and then um, I've been in contact for a month or so with quartermaster logistics who is distribution side um, and so they handle all of the freight shipping and we're doing global global uh, ship uh, global distribution so there's multiple freight liners involved so that that costs more than just a single freight going to a single port um, and then um, the cost to pick and pack and all that stuff, uh, and handle all the warehousing because they actually do warehousing. It's a super cool. If you guys aren't familiar with them, check them out. Um, they do everything post the manufacturing. They'll do the freight shipping. They'll do the the pickup. They'll do the packaging, the shipping. They do the warehousing afterward, and they even go as far to as to sell units through Cool Stuff Inc. Afterwards. So that's why I chose them because. This is my first, so logistics-wise, I really need to allow a single party to handle it and just me learn from that. Because if I try to like pick individual parties that each specialized in those things, I might have been able to shave a couple of dollars off, but man alive, I don't know if I could have delivered to backers. So um, <clears throat> so yeah, my goal, my goal is there uh, because... It needs to be there, and I know recently um, there's been a lot of we'll set our funding goal artificially low because we know we'll be funded, and you know big name players can do that because they can take that risk. They can set it low, and then that encourages it to get funded because it's like oh fund it on day one, fund it on day two, fund it in 48 hours or whatever, you know. <clears throat> so people are like okay throw my money on I know I'm getting the game, and then additionally the Kickstarter algorithms they look at your funding goal and your trend towards a funding goal over time. And then that's one of the influencers that puts you on that uh, Projects That We Love page. Um, and so so by by setting, setting it artificially low, you increase the chances of being featured, which increases your chances of actually people backing you. And so it's like this cool, positive feedback loop. But it's not a risk I was willing to take on my first project. Uh, hindsight, maybe I should have. But the risk being that I could set it at a value just to get it funded but if i didn't get the amount of money i needed to actually bring it to life and get it to backers <clears throat> then i would have to either a cancel the project like right before it completes or sometime before it completes and to me i think that looks horrible it's like everybody's excited about getting this game and then i cancel it wait well why'd you cancel it it's funded uh, and then i gotta explain to them yeah it's funded but we don't have enough money to make it it's like why didn't you do your research uh we did we just set it low so we would get funded um, or the second scenario is they just would never get their stuff, which is obviously not something I'm going to do. So, so this is, it's, it's, it's a big risk mitigation, um, strategy that, uh, is not working out for me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that's, the, that's what all the it's costs. It's not
2: working for me. out for you?
4: It's not working out for me. No, the, uh, the Kickstarter, oh. I, I'm like at 1% of my funding or something <laughs> like that. So.
2: Okay. Well, you're at 3% now.
4: Oh wow! <laughs> oh. and you still got 24 days he to go. So,
2: so buck up, right. I guess.
4: No, I'm I'm taking a completely positive approach. You know, um, I I went in knowing that this is incredibly it's going to be a huge challenge. I don't know if I'm mm. going to be able to convince people to do this. The price looks high, and the shipping's high because it's a heavy game, um, and I'm a first-time creator. And I've got this funding goal that's like a hundred and something thousand dollars. The audacity of this man kind of thing, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I've, I've got so many emails and, and comments about that. Just like, I can't believe you're setting your goal that high. Who are you kind of thing? I'm just, like, I'm just trying to be honest. That's all. Um, you know, I want to I want to be honest and I, I'm fully transparent. I even wrote all that stuff in the risks and challenges um, section on the campaign. I'm spelling Mm -hmm. out where all the money's going so people don't think I'm just, like, making up these numbers. Um, Even down to, like, even why does the manufacturing cost almost 50K? Uh, Because there are four uh, 13-inch or 12-and-a-half-inch Battlefield quadrants that are both double-layered. And there are uh, 18 battalion trays, which are all triple-layered all of those multi-layer components require the hand assembly at the factory. I think I might've even talked about this earlier, um, in our discussion, but they require hand assembly. So they're much more expensive to produce. Um, so,
2: so, uh, um, game it out then if you, if you get to to one day left and you're at 60%, then what, what, where do you go from there?
4: If there's one day left and I'm not funded, then I've got to, I've got to pull the plug and then just regroup. Um, I've been absorbing a lot of information just off observation I've been I've had a lot of really fantastic people giving me feedback um, just on the Discord server and on Reddit and everything like that where you know they're not only giving me like what well, you shouldn't have done this or that but they're like here's what you might think about doing and and all that stuff so so we'll see I'll have to to just re, re um, rejigger my strategy and and come back full force uh, following one of the biggest uh the other big um, problems i have is i spent every every bit of the time i had and all of my effort and passion polishing this game to a production ready state before the kickstarter because again i went in naively thinking that you know what i think it looks great to have a game that's done not just an idea or a, a a um, half a game design that is going to need to get finished and I'm funding for them to finish the game design this game is done I can even go online and play it and I have a finished rule book that's like completely graphically laid out and everything and all the assets are ready and we're just going to fund this thing we're going to send out the assets work through pre-production get this puppy manufactured and bring it back you know um, so I've spent all my time that I could doing that I've got You know, like everybody, you know, we got family and stuff like that and a day job. Um, So I didn't really do much of any uh, quote-unquote crowd building. I'm a horrible social media person. I'm absolutely awful at it. So now that I'm freed up for that, I've been spending more and more of my time learning how to connect with people on the social media, um, the relevant social media, and and kind of spread the game that way. Um, It's really challenging because you can never talk about your own game. Because if you do, then people just get on your ass, so... You got to be fully integrated into the community and everything like that, which is completely fair. I'm not complaining about that at all. It's just it's it's a lot more difficult than than it seemed to me at first was going to be. See, so yeah, if I if, if I kill the if I have to kill uh, cut the cord um, or pull the plug rather, then I'll just regroup, take my learnings, and apply that, and come back again stronger. So I really, really, really want to share this game with people. I think it's uh, when people get through a full game and, and really feel how it works and the dynamics at play. It's, it's very, very unique and very special, super fun.
0: So with your digital background, if you, would you consider doing just a digital version of this?
4: If it comes to having to do just the digital version, I will. I've always considered that that will, that would be part of the quote unquote grand plan. And down the road is there would be a digital version as well. Um, But if it comes down to having to do digital only, um, I wouldn't be too upset, but I'm just, I, I'm so smitten with the experience of, of face to face tabletop play, the, the social dynamics and everything like that. And the presence of another person and the feeling of holding and and moving around this stuff, um, which is, is heightened in this game because of the complex, complex, the very intimate relationship you have with the components, the. They constantly picking them up, turning them, moving them and stacking them and unstacking them and there's your your hands are constantly down on the battlefield interacting and moving things around and it's a great feeling. So
1: Well, is there anything else you want us to know or people to listening to know?
4: Um, nothing in particular. I mean, I think it's <clears throat> I think the, the like what like where this game from and everything is really neat a very fascinating subject the whole maneuver warfare theory it's something I think people should really check out um, if you type in maneuver warfare theory on Google you can find plenty of information on it um, but I also have um, I've been doing Kickstarter live sessions where I talk about that in depth I've done a couple of them now and um, I've downloaded I download all the archives and put them on my YouTube channel so if you want to learn um, even more about like how I how I went about integrating um, those philosophies um, and uh, expressing them through the game. Um, yeah, you can check those out. Jump over to the uh, LJ Play YouTube channel and um, there's a there's a playlist there for, called Kickstarter Live Sessions. Um, and you can see me and hear me just blah mm-hmm. blah 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 about my own game. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Well, they can take a look at the Kickstarter, yeah. and it's got. Does it have any any of the links to that? Does it have a link to like the Vassal mod it or has, anything like it that? It
4: has a link to the tabletop simulator mod. It has a tab- link to the Vassal mod. It has a link to download the rule books. All a, uh, um, it has uh, a link to a subtle link just in one of the paragraphs to one of my design diaries on Board Game Geek, which talks about the. Um, like how the maneuver warfare theory affected this game coming to life. Um, let's see, uh, all my social media links are on the page. Um, there's a section on the page that literally um, just kind of high level talks about um, the difference of maneuver warfare versus attrition warfare and um, why I'm why I'm trying to uh, develop a game around it. Um, not a not a super educational section, but. It, it just, uh, kind of kicks off, um, the idea that, you know, I'm using that theory for this and, and here's why I'm doing it. Um, hmm. let see what else. Yeah. I told you I'm, I'm really not good at marketing myself. <laughs>
1: well, you know, you've been really real and honest, you know, with everything and it's kind of, yeah, it interests people enough. They'll check it out yeah. and, uh, and look and see. Yeah.
4: yeah. And that's, that's all that's you That's all do. I can do. So, and that's, that's all I'm going to keep doing. Um. But yeah, but there's there's some room, there's some room to grow and um, and things to learn, so that's for sure. All
2: right. Well, I appreciate
1: you coming on and talking to us, uh,
2: Richard Roy. Did you have anything else? No, uh, that's just, all I had. Thanks for your time. Best of luck to you, man.
4: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you guys for chatting. It's been a really fun time. So.
2: Yeah. All
4: right.
1: And now now we can play the game on Vassal with each other and understand yeah. how to do there it. There you go. Yeah.
4: All yeah. Right. Explore that explore that route mechanism. I think you guys are gonna love it.
0: Yeah, I'm a big fan of Vassal, so I've always got uh, a few games going on Vassal, and I'm a big fan. Yeah, and,
4: and which of you just said you're on Vassal? Hey, shoot me an email if you ever want to, to start a um, a play-by-email game on Vassal of Warline.
0: So oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll
4: happily do it. Um, yeah, just holler at me on social media, or just hit me up at uh, contact at com. Yes, I will, def-
0: I will definitely do
2: that.
4: All right. Yes, Yes. new
2: opponent.
4: (laughs) It's always (laughs) so fun to play somebody new.
2: (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for talking.
4: Yeah, thank you guys. Take care.
1: Good night. Right. So we're back through the magic of editing. Back. Just all the all the way back. Just hours went by, and here we are. And um, yeah, I really liked this conversation uh, about Kickstarter and just and just manufacturing. That was my whole thing. It was just the multiple levels of the components and this, that, and the other, and was just really cool to me. Uh, what did you guys think of the game?
0: The game itself I thought was interesting. Um, I think it's great that it's you know it's obviously the available on Vassal, and it's available on Tabletop Simulator, I guess. I know he plays it there. I, I haven't checked to see if the mod is publicly available or not, but it's definitely available on Vassal. I like the game. I thought it was fun. Um, he, like you said, he is very concerned about the quality of the components, um, and I think that's great. It's going to make a, a great
2: experience
0: if if the game makes it and gets published, um, but that could be one of the reasons the game doesn't get published
2: too. Ironically, so to me, it felt like um, a little bit like chess, um, with the the movement, and so the what well, you had the magic that would let you move across the board, and the smaller powered units moved the fastest which sound made sense to me whereas your big boss only moved i believe two spots um so yeah it felt a little bit like chess to me and the notion of throwing up the ramparts is kind of the same uh as like when you castle in chess i forgot about that move
1: yeah it for me it reminded me a hell of a lot of like maneuver the old uh napoleonics game
0: yeah okay. i i, I I think there was some influence there, yeah.
1: But uh, I dug it. I just – I like the idea of it. And, you know, I, he was so honest and forthcoming and, yeah, just shit. I hope like hell it works. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I do. I mean, this is – he was completely upfront and honest. You know, like he said, he was like he didn't want to – and there's so many Kickstarters nowadays that are like, well – you know, we finished with umpteen million dollars, but we can't afford to ship this to you. We have to wait and raise $35,000 more if you guys want to donate, and we'll ship your stuff to you. You know, where he's like, no, this is what it costs. This is what it's going to be for us to, you know, ship this to you. And, yeah, it's
0: cool, and yeah.
1: I don't yeah, know. he's got a long way I to go. You...
0: There's 18 days to go, so hopefully all of our listeners will kickstart three copies each, and it'll make it. Yeah, just
1: head on in there and be like, you know what? Yeah, let's do this. Let's add this in. I mean, if all else fails, you know pretty much everything about this game from how to play it to the background uh, to how it is uh, actually built, sold, and brought to you, brought to market. There you go, everything. So check it out. I hope it works. So moving on, the next thing we have is... The Game Manufacturers Association board is broken. Mike Stackpole resigns from the board and announces no Origins library will not attend Origins. I don't know what's going on over in Gamma. And it's been fascinating actually trying to follow this is like this Game Manufacturers Association used to be kind of like a big deal. And now they're not so much a big deal anymore I mean to me I don't think origins is that big of a deal anymore there's been so many allegations over like the past five years of well you know if you want your game to be considered you have to give it to them free you know and all this different stuff for the the origin awards and yeah I don't know I just find this kind of industry bickering and what have you just to be fascinating and just to kind of just expound on it and um yeah i don't know yeah i had no idea that the game manufacturers association game manufacturers association was as old as it is and how it used to be this huge force that you know uh designated policy and you know made or or broke games you know I yeah know.
0: I think it would be interesting and even if we were to interview them, I don't know that they would give an honest answer in a forum like this, but if you were sitting down drinking with them or something to talk to someone from you know GMT or Mayfair or whoever and say do you even care uh, to find out if, if it's important that you know GMA is, is, is broken in someone's mind or if it's just something that doesn't affect them really? You never know. It might be like,
1: you know, man, that's Steve Jackson and his kicks and his kick starters. You know, blah, blah blah. And they're like, shh, Jim, be quiet. You can't talk about that. They're recording. You know, I don't know. It is weird. It's, I mean, just us being the consumers on the outside. You see this kind of thing, and and you know, honestly, a lot of people will just look at it and go like, eh, it doesn't have anything to do with me. And then later on, the company kind of implodes, and suddenly your favorite game is affected. It's yeah, you'd be surprised
0: at at how this. Yeah, I think that's where it gets interesting.
1: Let's talk about the Servants of Strife, the uh, the new X Wing.
2: Oh, seize the galaxy!
1: Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. 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 All right. We're gonna fix this in editing. (laughs) Fantastic. They'll never know. I am keeping Uh, notes of these. Roy's writing it down, you know. uh, time code 3051, he said, yeah. <laughs> Alright, uh, so yeah, in Seas of Galaxy, Service to Strife, uh, this is the droid group from episode one, or the the prequels of the Star, uh, star Wars, and yes, yeah, it's made its way into X-Wing. I'm actually really excited about this, and this will probably be the next um, faction I play for X-Wing.
0: So are you playing X-Wing too? T, uh, like TW
1: Zero? I, I I'm Yes, I'm playing the X-Wing 2.0, okay. but I, I haven't, you know, kind of bust my butt to actually get out to the game nights, which are on Thursday, because I just kind of feel uh, stagnated. Yeah. Because I I did not own anything from 1.0. Oh, really? I, yeah, and I don't want to buy anything. I don't want to buy a conversion kit. So... I'm just kind of like, well, Fantasy Flight, can you release some shit so I can stop just playing the Y-Wing and 3X-Wings or the U-Wing and and 2X-Wings, you know? And it's, it's like I'm playing the same list over and over again, and it's not fun.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of in the opposite position where I have – I don't have a ton of version 1 stuff, but I've got a decent amount. Yeah, I don't have a ton of version 1 stuff, but I have a decent amount, and I, I haven't bought any conversion kits just because I wasn't – I haven't played that much lately, um, but my daughter is now asking me to play again, which makes me want to play, obviously. And I am I think I'm just going to stick with the version one stuff because we're not interested in playing tournaments or competitive or anything. But I have looked a little bit at the, the 2.0 stuff, and I've heard they made some nice additions to the rule sets, and they've streamlined the game a little bit. But I don't really want to go out and buy conversion kits for the stuff I have either.
1: Well, it's one like thirty dollar, you know. Yeah, well, uh,
0: it's per faction, and even then, that's, that's not true. going to be. I don't. I don't think that would. It's going to be enough to. Yeah. So. I, <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, you're playing with your your daughter.
0: Yeah, so yes. I'm playing with my daughter. She wants to play again, which makes me want to play again. Um, I have a decent amount of version 1 stuff, not a great amount. I just don't want to buy the conversion kits to convert everything over to 2.0. I'm interested in version 2.0 because I've heard they made some nice um, modifications to the rules and streamlined the system a little bit. Um, my my complaint with version 1 was the further it went into it, the less it was a skill-based game.
1: Oh, he said, "skill-based game," and the NSA came in and just took it over. It's terrible.
0: I just liked it more at the beginning when it was more like dogfighting. You know, anticipating your yeah. opponent's move, getting behind him, doing stuff like that. But by the end, with it, when everything was missiles and turrets and you know, moving out of order and everything, it was. Eh, it wasn't as much fun. It was still fun, but I liked the game more in its purer state. Okay, I understand that. I can respect that.
1: And with this, uh, I don't know. It's To me, it's just a different faction. And uh, it's different for everybody. Nobody has any experience playing these guys. And yeah, I'm kind of excited. Plus, I like the idea of just robots. I hear they're different to Field and Next wing So there's that. And uh, yeah, so yeah. I don't know. This is this seems cool to me. But yeah, that's I'm just kind of stuck and annoyed with... Um, uh, just X-Wing 2.0 that I don't have anything to play because they're so fucking slow in updating their stuff. I would love to field an A-Wing or a B-Wing, you know, but yeah, yeah so anyway.
0: So moving on, um, we
1: have a new source book for the Star Wars role-playing game.
0: Yeah, this one I'm excited about because I, I run a Star Wars role-playing game, um, and it's this one is basically just – it looks like it's it's all the, all the people that you already know from the movies and everything, heroes and villains, and it, it just statted them all out. Which is interesting because there's sort of a, a saying in RPGs that if you stat something you can kill it. So you know, if if you want to bring the Emperor into your game or Darth Vader into your game, you have to be real you have to realize that as soon as you do, you have to either just say, Well, he's unkillable, in which case you're taking the game away from the players, or you have to stat him and realize that they may kill Darth Vader, so um, so I, I I will definitely get this one just because I'm curious to see what they have, and they have actually already statted out some of those guys in the uh, the Dawn of Rebellion book, but
2: this one I'll I'll definitely pick this one up. Boy, howdy, that Ewok in that in the artwork here <laughs> is not messing around.
1: That's oh the most gosh, savage looking I Ewok I've ever seen i can play fucking ewoks in this i was <laughs> like well they have like spears axes bows knives and as well as larger complex weapons like battering rams and catapults so i can fly my my team will fly their ship into the death star and then i'm gonna roll out my stone catapult that's right <laughs> and launch it and and yes i will i will destroy the death star that way is this fantastic is this
0: a precursor for getting ewoks in legion <laughs> oh, oh man oh
1: my god if they ever did these, I, uh, yeah if they ever did that i swear it would have to be like a horde army. Yeah. You feel like six like 60 of them you know just like going forward just brutally stabbing stormtroopers and eating them it would be awesome <laughs> turning their heads into drums it would be fantastic yes so now yeah there's i can do an ewok and yeah, I love how Star Wars doesn't have the prime directive. There's like eh, whatever, you wanna hey buddy, you wanna come over here and fly on the shit with us and yeah, let's go. Alright, alright,
2: cool. And Ewok all all uh tatted up with cybernetics and Yeah, I
1: know. He's seen some shit, he goes back he can't integrate back into a society seen too much. It's like no i've I've smoked death sticks i've murdered people yeah i've had sex with Twilix. it's i can't do it no i can't go back i can't go back half
0: ewok half Twilek. <laughs> so
1: <laughs> you won't hear yeah, harold on war games doesn't have this it, yeah ewok sex does it's not there so uh yeah the next thing we had was Met Command RTS, a real-time strategic, strategy board game, and uh, it was actually successful. Oh wow, that was cool. Talk about so
0: it was successful, yeah, meaning no. that they got all the money and everything is shipping with the money that they collected, right?
1: Well, no, I just said <laughs> they got the money. Uh, they they wanted a measly seventy-five grand, and they got a hundred and forty-eight grand. So, you know, at this point, uh, you know, and you can do late pledges at this. And uh, let's see, the uh, last update with it was from January 21st. Oh, yeah, they're shipping
0: stuff out. Yeah, but but they're asking for an additional $21,000 now.
1: Oh, wait, I didn't see that. Yeah, I'm
0: surprised you hadn't heard about this one, Adam.
1: No, tell me about it. Yeah,
0: so if you look down, um, basically... They had some, I guess, some production defects or whatever, and like you said, they asked for 75000 They made way more than that, but now they're going back to their backers, and they're saying, we need another $21,000 if we're going to fulfill this. <laughs> oh my god. Dadgum.
1: Why? I know. Oh, this is terrible. This is why you shouldn't kickstart anything. Yep,
0: that's Kickstarter.
1: So yeah, I mean, if you're in the true. position
0: of the backer, what do you do? I mean,
1: I mean, yeah, you want to get your stuff, right? Oh man, it's awful, but eh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't,
0: I don't know what to think. about It's a mess. That, but <laughs> Jamie, yeah. Jamie Stegmeier had in his blog a a couple last week or the week before, I can't remember, a really good article about crowdsourcing and kickstarting and pre-orders and how. All of those things present their own challenges and everything, but it was it was a good, honest look at it from obviously a man, a a game designer and producer's point of view. Um, Just about it's just there's a lot of there's a lot of tough decisions that that these guys have to make as they they enter the market and the market gets rougher every day with with Amazon and you know um, we talked about minimum uh, advertised pricing with him several months ago but you've got counterfeit people out there it's just a huge mess honestly I don't know how anyone ever makes any money
1: I don't know I feel like they make their money and they spend it on something they shouldn't <laughs> and then are like wait well, I don't have any money to ship you stuff." so
2: this $21,000 deficit that I see there's a little bit more details there that uh, somebody is loaning the company almost half of it and then there's a little bit more so really the actual part that they're asking for from backers is sixty five hundred. So they're trying to so it gives a breakdown there of like, so if you bought the core set, it's five dollars and twenty five cents for your kind of your part of that sixty five hundred bucks. And if you bought everything, it's ten sixty five. So I mean it's mm. really it's not that much more money. I mean it's still more money, but yeah they're, yeah. they're trying to fix it. It looks like to me that's
1: i mean that's that's the thing is like you know they told you that like hey you spend this much and uh you get this and then it's like oh wait uh we said that but now we need a little more Mm -hmm. so yeah uh, i don't know man you know me i don't i don't like it I don't like it when we prepay for stuff. I really don't like it when people prepay for stuff and then they come back and they're like, oh, wait, we need more money. So, yeah. Eh, whatever. Mm. Anyway, the uh, next thing we had was currently the Humble Bundle uh, RPG group book set is for Numera. And I for 15 bucks you get a whole lot of RPG stuff from Monty Cook who we previously talked about, but you didn't hear it because it was before you we were recording
0: stuff. So. Probably because my mic cut out.
1: <laughs> True. So, yeah, you get a whole, whole lot of RPG goodness for 15 Yeah, bucks, that's it. And I
0: highly
2: recommend
1: that's it.
0: That's a really good deal. Numenary is a, a pretty interesting uh, game and setting and system and everything, so it's definitely worth a look.
2: Is this the game where you flip so. between realities? No. Like you have... No, what am i thinking of there's another monty cook game that's
0: uh the strange maybe
2: i don't recall
0: it could be the strange yeah the strange is cipher system it's uh, sort of an offshoot of Numenera, but yeah i think that is the strange
2: okay
1: anyway it's really cool it's really good value let's go toss it out there
2: anyway. hey i'm gonna embarrass myself a little bit by talking about the time i made an ass of myself in front of monty cook yeah <laughs> Oh yeah, tell me, tell me, so, tell us a story. At, at Gen Con, we got into the elevator, my wife and I, and lo and behold, Monty Cook is in there. And so, of course, my wife is not a, a role player, so like doesn't know who this guy is. So I had to explain to her who Monty Cook was in front of Monty Cook. And so, you know how like when you meet celebrities, they say that your your IQ drops, you know, 15 points. That's what happened to me. So I
1: uh-huh.
2: I made an ass of myself in front of Monty Cook.
1: <laughs> this, dear, this is Monty Cook. Who's <laughs> Monty Cook? Well, he did Numera. Numera? That sounds like a strange porridge. It's like, no, he also did the strange. The strange? That sounds like women you get when you're out. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I understand. I do, yeah.
2: So... Anyway, Monty, if you're listening, and I know you're probably not, but sorry. Look, he's listening. He's like,
1: what? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I anyway. <laughs> the next thing we have is Tekaforce rulebook is now available. And I'm just going to toss this on because I find giant robot anime girl uh, RPGs to be fascinating. They're always third-party, and they always have questionable artwork. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we're just going to toss this on here it's it's available via drive through rpg it's right there you can if you like gundam Macross, evangelion it's there so you can play this game so anyway <laughs> moving on now this this next story we've got here i found utterly fascinating this is the true story of cthulhu and elric removed from the deities and demigods book now, Richard Broy, are you guys familiar with the uh, TSR Presents Deities and Demigods? Absolutely. Thing? I, I, I owned Yonky that book. get on the book. cover.
2: Yep. Oh, wait. No, it's different. With what on the cover? I have a different yeah. one. Never mind. Yeah, no, I owned that book. The Fiend Folio is what th- I'm thinking of. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
1: Now, this one I owned, I got in around 7th or 8th grade. I bought from a guy who probably, I think, stole it from his older brother or, or something, And I just found it fascinating just to read. You know, I didn't care about the stats or whatever. I didn't understand what all the numbers and whatnot were. But just reading the background of all these different gods and goddesses and pantheons and whatever. In my version, which, I mean, I got rid of, gosh, probably 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago. I don't think it was one of the rare ones either. But anyway, this particular article that you'll see listed in the show notes will talk about the controversy of this TSR release and like why it was controversial and like how many different copies and um, you know all this different stuff that is out there. Yeah. So. Yeah, I thought it was a
0: really good, well-researched article, and yeah, I had never heard that so they, story. I did hear that early on, Gary Gygax got sued by Tolkien's estate and had to take hobbits out of the game, which is why they have half. Yeah, th- instead of that's hobbits. that is covered in this
1: article, I, which I I found fascinating. Uh, some the uh, the copyright problems that they ran into with Tolkien and Cthulhu. Yeah. More than anything, and all these different ones. And then they would like add other people into it, you know. And there were, gosh, I swear there were like eight different versions of this book available.
0: Oh, I'm really curious to know which one I had. Oh, there's no way I could even find yeah. out, but.
1: And like, I, well, it just depends, like, who was in it or who yeah. wasn't, if you remember, you know, that. And uh, it was interesting to me because, um, you know, it was like, well,. If you, you know, even though this one was pulled from the shelf, you have to understand, like, you know, 1.3 million copies of that, you know, book sold. So it was pulled. It is rare, but there were a lot of copies sold, so it's not that valuable. Mm-hmm. So I just thought it was in- interesting and just toss it on here. And I just remember buying it, you know, you know, from a kid at his locker, at, you know, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, so <laughs> there you go. Anyway moving on
0: tell us about this new fantasy flight yeah legion dropped a lot of stuff last week they've got finally have some vehicles um they've got for the for the imperials they've got a a cool little tank it's if you've seen rogue one it looks like the tank that was in uh jetta city and then the rebels get a speeder that they can mount guns to like a big old-fashioned you know if you think about like afghanistan you can imagine the the uh, the terrorist driving an truck. old pickup truck with an yep. anti aircraft gun mounted to the back, and that's exactly what it looks like the rebels are doing. And then they also so they announced the uh, the rebel support guys as well like the the rebel specialists is what they're called they've got like a, a medical droid and another a leader and some other stuff and the imperial version one of this i actually saw in the stores today so the rebels are coming the imperial are on their way out but the vehicles are really the big news um those look interesting and they also when i say interesting not just fun to paint up and see on the board but they look like they're going to change the way the game is played so that's that's pretty big
2: Because they have transport. Yes. So they transport one. So that's how you would move your your leader around. Right. But my question I had is if you had two of these and you had like a sniper team, Mm -hmm. can you keep the two of them in cohesion and keep the two uh, members of the team together and therefore transport a sniper team?
0: That's a good question. I don't know because I don't. I haven't seen any rules related to this yet. I was. I wasn't even thinking of sniper teams. I was thinking of operatives. This would work well with. You put Boba oh, Fett yeah. on one of those, or put Chewie on one of those, or um, really also like Vader. You know, he's he's powerful, but he's very slow. You put mm-hmm. Vader on a vehicle to get him into the thick of battle
2: faster. It might be good. Did you? Uh, and I guess I could look closer, but I, I don't know what the speed on the tank is. Is it a speed two? Maybe. Uh, I didn't notice. Okay, so the the X thirty four Landspeeder to me looks like it's ripe for modding. Uh, you know, to like to take the windscreen off of it and replace it with sheet metal with slits and everything, and yeah, and absolutely. really kind of kind of hack it up and and uh, make it look like a hunk of junk. Yep. Yeah. Which, I mean, the, the artwork is already that way. Yeah, and that the Imperial
0: tank has three like barrels or something on the back of it and i don't know if those are going to have any sort of purpose or whatever so that that's interesting too anytime they release these they always they do a good job of teasing to show a little bit of what they can do but not showing everything obviously so
2: and the cool figures well so now how many is it going to come with stormtroopers
0: i don't think so i think it'll probably come with like a driver or something okay yeah so that's all on its way for legion
1: All right, the next thing we have is Dire Wolf Games has a whole bunch of stuff they're bringing from the board tabletop to your digital
2: existence.
0: Yeah. Do you guys like playing digital board games? Like literally just the exact same board game but play it on a computer?
2: I I have before on the iPad. Yeah. That's fine. Eh.
0: It's more often than not for me, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, so I like having the cardboard down, but I like having the the availability. There's some games um, that I'll play, especially sometimes you can play, um, you know, with another person that you're not in the same city with or whatever. But games like Mage Knight, um, Mage Knight is it's a fun game, but it's huge and it takes a while to set up, and once it's set up, it's got to stay there for a while. But I can definitely see Mage Knight being a fun one to play on the computer.
2: Well, root. It's going to be on there. Yep,
0: yeah. Hell yep, yeah. Yep, Root, Sagrada, which cool. I think you've played that one, Roy, right? Yeah. Yeah, I haven't played it, but I've heard good things about See, it. See, so. now,
2: for me, Sagrada, part of the, there's a, you know, the the tactile, it's played with dice, and the dice are cool and everything. So, I mean, it's, that would really, I think, be diminished, played on, a, you know, on a tablet or something.
0: Yeah. Honestly, out of all of these, the one that I'm most interested in is Mage Knight just because I know that I will – if I've got it available on my computer, I will play it a lot more than I do now. Right now I like Mage Knight, but it's a game that I play maybe once a year.
2: Mm-hmm. I used to have a copy of
1: See, it. See, I'm most interested in uh, Wings of Glory. Yeah they're bringing that to it and uh yeah i mean it's basically x-wing with world war one by yeah. Lane, so
0: yeah we were talking about playing that in november when we did our world war one day but it, uh, the guy that was going to bring it wasn't able to make it so
1: mm, yeah and then the other thing they have is raiders of the north sea i don't know what that one is haven't played that one so yeah and the uh, uh yellow and the yankees is another one that and uh i think that's the only other one we haven't mentioned never played it so there's that it's board game it's coming to you digitally You play it on your ipad be awesome so the next thing we had was the captain sonar
0: operation dragoon yeah captain sonar i think i talked about that a couple weeks ago um i've played that a few times it's it's a i really like it it's a great game um only downside is that it really plays best with eight players and it's hard to find eight players, but there is uh, an expansion already out for captain sonar, but I think it's just maps. This one looks like it's going to have uh, some extra um, game mechanisms, A little hazy on the details right now, but if you're a captain sonar fan, this definitely looks like it's gonna be worth some worth picking up. So um, I'm not sure when this is coming out. I think it's been announced. I don't think it's out yet.
1: That's what we got to play at Dice Tower Cup. Oh, yeah. Yep. I'll, I'll bring Zara. that one for sure. Yeah. I've got that one, too. Haven't yeah. played it.
0: <laughs> and then, speaking of expansions, they announced another Root expansion coming out. That is, So, what? yeah, I know. I just picked up the first one. This one is announced. It's going to be out... Oh, it doesn't say when, I don't think. But they did announce the second one. It's going to have uh, two new factions, the Crows and Moles. It's going to have more maps. And then it's going to have... Um, uh, what else do they have? yeah they they just said they're looking at some extras and add-ons. I think they said something about a a campaign setting as well, though, so if you like root, there's more coming as for that as well.
1: crows and the crows moles. and the moles like like bloods and cris <laughs> that's what it is from the woodland, yeah, so they're coming. I like this whole gangster look of it. Yeah, I hope Chris buys this game so I can play it soon. Either that or Miniature Market puts it on sale, and I'll buy it. That's what I'm waiting on. So, all right. Wow. That brings us to the end of our huge, longly anticipated next episode. So, yeah.
0: That's what we get when we skip a week.
1: And and Uh, throw (laughs) an
0: interview in there. It's true,
1: and then, um, wow, it's like next month, that is our um, uh, anniversary, it's my birthday, Um, I still don't have my ASL t-shirt, and yeah, it's a whole thing. So (laughs) he
0: rescheduled the ASL day for next month, but I can't make it that day, so I don't think you're getting that (laughs) t-shirt. I'm going to be April before
1: I get this thing. I I guess at least it'll be t-shirt with you know, as long as it's not dark or something, but anyway, so yeah. Well, I hope you guys like us, and uh, you can always find us at chanceofgaming.com. It's always Chance of Gaming for everything. For Patreon, for Twitter, for um, Facebook, you know, World of Warships, whatever you're looking for. That's what it is. So, you know, there you go. And uh, we'll be back with more interviews, more discussion, you know, in a couple weeks. So, or, well, thanks What are we going to do next week? I don't know. Maybe we okay. will. Depends. <laughs> We're We're see, consistently we'll see how a
0: answer for you. <laughs> we,
1: yeah, you're absolutely right. We are consistently inconsistent.
0: We like to keep are, people on their so. toes.
1: <laughs> right. Like, I wonder if they're going to release anything. Just would there be surprise, you know, that they wake up in the morning, they're like, oh, uh, uh, new chance of gaming episode. They're talking about Kickstarter and uh, Steve Jackson games. like, oh, God, really? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you yeah, know, so, yeah, there you go. So anyway, well, good night. Hope you guys like it, and we'll see you. Thank you. Good night, everyone.
0: Sit here and sing, Mademoiselle from Montmartre, parlez-vous? Mademoiselle from Montmartre, parlez-vous? Crap, we're probably recording.